get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. in high in the air, out to deep right field, at the wall, and it's off the wall. Dickerson will score. Nolan Gorman to second with a double. Gorman, out to deep right, at the wall, gone! Into the St. Louis bullpen. Got a breaking ball. It hits his 14th home run and extends the St. Louis lead to 4-1. haircut has knocks in it, so a little double and a homer. Um, we needed it, and he needed it. Hopefully uh, that's something he could build off of just from a confidence standpoint. He's been working hard at it, so it's good to see a little uh, reward. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. Yes, I see all of the text. We will address the Fantasy Football League that is coming up in 30 minutes. I have a statement prepared. Uh, I will react to all of the nonsense, the slander that I have heard on this radio station for the last four hours. You can't resign after you caused pure chaos when you started the league. We'll get into that. We'll do that coming up at 1130. However, we've got to start with Nolan Gorman's big night last night. He needed that man in such a bad way. Homer, a double. He showed you the one of those was like an excuse me swing. I respect it. Nolan Gorman. His previous 15 games, he was seven for 44 with 19 strikeouts. Bad 159 slugging percentage of 182 in that stretch. It was not going well for our guy, Nolan Gorman. He needed that game because I think he was at risk of losing opportunities against right-handed pitchers, not to one of the other lefty bats, but we talked about this a little bit yesterday. It could have even happened with one of the righty bats, specifically thinking of Albert Pools. And Alex, we weren't the only ones that were thinking about this. Here's what Brad Thompson had to say about that potential circumstance yesterday on the fast lane. So Albert has actually been better against right-handed Cardinals. Currently have a seven and a half game lead in the division. They'd like to be able to expand that. Do you try to utilize this time against all of this right-handed pitching to get Gorman right? Because you know he can be a factor for you come the playoffs. You know the skill set there. Do you go go with the guy that's actually been swinging it a little bit better? And you have to couple in the fact that he's chasing 700 home runs. Yeah, that's the battle. You got a battle between the milestone chase or getting a bat right that you absolutely need for a postseason run. And for me, look, I want to see Albert Pujols hit 700 like everyone else does in St. Louis and around Major League Baseball. But what benefits this Cardinals team in terms of a World Series chance is making sure that Nolan Gorman is available for them 
on a run against right-handed pitchers. And I, for me, I, I've said this before. I want Albert Pujols to beat A-Rod. That's, 700 would be awesome, but if he surpasses A-Rod, that's an accomplishment in my book. I think it benefits this team more long-term if they just throw Nolan Gorman out there in the DH or at second base, whatever it is, against right-handed pitchers because you need that bat if you want to be a serious World Series contender. I'm with you there. I I, I think your lineup is going to reach its ceiling against right-handed pitching if Nolan Gorman is playing better. If he if he's what he's had been, like, as you mentioned, in his last 15 games where he's struggling, you can't put him in the lineup and then you have to kind of it's tough to call it a downgrade, but as much as Pools has been better against right-handed pitching, he's still not the hour Pools as he is against like left-handed pitching and in his prime. He's just not. So to me, Gorman is the guy you have to get going. I like the idea of playing him more. I, I think yesterday was probably a turning point for Nolan Gorman. I'm not saying he's going to get extremely hot, but I think he kind of just starts to get back to kind of what I would call like level, even play that you expect from Nolan Gorman, because when he's in your lineup, and I think Ollie mentioned it pregame yesterday, it was in the paper this morning, they feel better defensively because he's able to turn double plays better. He's got quicker feet. He can uh, make the turn at second base better. So if you get him right, you can solidify that second base position. You keep uh, Paul DeYoung out of the starting lineup. You keep Donovan at the DH spot where they feel comfortable with his bat. And as you saw yesterday, he had a great game yesterday as well. So I, I think you continue to ride Nolan Gorman against right-handed pitching and see what he does the next two weeks. And then you can, if he still struggles then, then you open up to a contest between him. I would assume Juan Yepes will be back up here shortly. I think it might be Alec today. Pools. I, I think it's possible, too. I think it is today when his thing expires. Yeah. We going to gloss over the old man comment that he just made a minute ago? Old man comment. About what? Where he said, oh, it was in the paper today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is the ultimate Tanner comment. <laughs> Didn't read that online. On my he gets coffee. the paper, paper yeah. version. Yeah, you guys know? his apartment. <laughs> Sorry, they threw him in his it. Ethernet cord. Yeah, and they like, that's why you got the paper. Yeah. His Ethernet they, cord they doesn't work. the paper up to my uh, patio upstairs. Get stuck Great. on your roof. Six five seven eight zero is your comfort service happens. tax line uh, to get involved in the show today. I, I do think like the funny thing is I actually trust the manager to get this thing right. I, I think they're going to do all of what we just said. Yeah. They're going to get Albert his at bats against righties like they have been now for the last couple of weeks. They're going to keep Gorman getting opportunities against right-handed pitchers at second base. Donovan's going to filter in. He'll get guys days off in the outfield. And oh, by the way, one Yepes will do the same. Like Yepes will also get some opportunities as the designated hitter too. So I, I really don't think this is going to be a big deal, but Kind of like what we've been talking about with there is the competition that is taking place internally for those three spots in the wild card round within your rotation. I do think there is also a competition taking place to see who is in the lineup regularly once you get to the playoffs. I don't think that's something that you could switch up a whole lot once you're there. Once you get into the postseason, it's a situation where you got to know these are my dudes. These are the guys that I'm going to bet on in the playoffs. And you just let it ride with him. So if that means Nolan Gorman is your second baseman every day against right-handed pitching in the playoffs, so be it. That's fine by me. I got no issues with it. If he's your, your, your DH in those spots, all right, cool. If you decide Juan Yepes is your best option there, fine by me. But they need to make that determination down the stretch. So that way they have confidence. They have conviction with this being our best lineup against right-handed pitching once we do get into the postseason. Yeah, I heard the morning show talking about this. Uh, Curbs and Kerry Davis, and they were... It's what I agree with also, where when it gets to the the games that absolutely matter, like a wild card series or an NLDS, like guys 
guys are going to perform better if they know what their role is going into that playoff series. And I think I would like to have a lineup that is stable and then know who my guys are coming off of the bench. And that can switch based on right versus left. That's but, fine, but you got to know going in know what, what yeah. your role is in those That's spots. where I'm at here because, like, if my bench players, if there's a righty on the mound, Albert Pujols knows he's coming in when a lefty steps onto that mound. But if it's the righty on the mound, Brendan Donovan knows he's going to be playing DH. Nolan Gorman knows he's going to be at second base. Tommy Edmond knows he's going to be playing shortstop, lefty or righty. That's what I want going into the postseason. And as great as Ali Marmol has been at platooning guys and putting guys in specific situations and matchups, come playoff time, I want my nine guys in the batting order to know where they're playing, who they're facing, and if they're starting, because that's going to benefit that team long term. So I, I was going to say, I think this is the only spot that they're debating against right handed pitching is whoever it is that is assuming, and I don't want to call it just second base because it changes if Gorman's yeah, not DH playing well. Is what they're it's talking DH about. slash second base yeah. based on how Nolan Gorman We thought it was going to be one of the corner outfields, but yeah, I mean, Lars Newbar and Corey Dickerson have completely Corey taken Dickerson's hold of those going to be hitting 300 by the time we enter the playoffs I mean, potentially. What's he at right now? I think yesterday he was at like 285 or something <laughs> Are crazy. Are you serious? Dylan Carlson's <laughs> right. Right. Well, that's it for me. I think it's two. It's it's like two eighty. Corey Dickerson's batting two eighty nine on the yeah, year. He's yeah, he's got three hundred by the time we get to the playoffs. So ridiculous. Uh, but he was batting like two fifteen at the All Star break. Yeah, and everybody was claiming they DFA him. Uh, but to but I just think it's the one spot against right handed pitching. I think left handed against left handed pitching. I think you know everybody knows the role. I role. I think left handed you're settled. I think it's just this one spot against right handed pitching that they're trying to figure it out. And to your point, Alex, I think they will have it figured out in the next two three weeks. I think they'll have it figured out by the time they go to that. What is it? Six games against Pittsburgh. You'll know then what both your right handed lineup looks like and your left handed lineup looks like. So, I am curious. How are people feeling about the Nolan Gorman experience at this point in time? Because I, I got to be honest, I'm a little surprised by the text that we're getting on the text line. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line right now. I would say the vast majority seem down on I, Nolan Gorman. Text line's always down. I, I just think that's it's, fair. I think it's because it's recency bias. Like you forget what he did in the early portion of the season this month, or I guess August coming into September. He's not been good. And it's like, wow, I'm sick of it. He should know it by now at this point of the season. He should be able to hit. Weren't we, I mean, weren't you saying that about Tommy Edmond last month? And now look where Tommy Edmond's at. Lars Newpart at the beginning of the season, he should know how to hit the ball at this point. Now look at him. Like, you're going to go through these lulls at some point. Nolan Gorman's rookie year has basically been the equivalent of Dylan Carlson's year last year. Now, they go about it in different ways. Carlson got on base. He hit for a decent average, but he didn't have a ton of power last year. Nolan Gorman, it's kind of the opposite. He's, he's got a decent on base relative to his batting average, but his batting average is 235. He's just, he doesn't make contact enough to have a higher batting average right now. But he hits the hell out of the ball whenever he does connect. Offensively, so far this year, he's been 13% above league average. For a rookie who now I think combined between double A or excuse me, triple A and major league baseball has like 30 home runs on the season. This has been exactly what I expected him to be. You've had the ups, you've had the downs and he kind of settles somewhere in between where he's 240 to 250 hitter gets on base decent amount enough to be able to get him in the lineup regularly. And when he connects, he hits the ball really hard. Like this is, I, I criticize the Cardinals for overselling some of their prospects. This is exactly what Nolan Gorman was sold to be. So I, 
I would say he's met my expectations this year. Hasn't exceeded them, but I would say he's met what I expected out of he's him. He's met my expectations because I knew what we were getting ourselves into. Like Nolan Gorman was the power hitter. Nolan Gorman was not the on-base guy. He's not the average guy. He's a guy who is going to either hit bombs or strike out. And that's what he's done this season. And he's actually done it really well for a rookie who's playing a brand new position at the major league level. I know it's frustrating watching him because you want more consistency, but I'm kind of like BK. I was sold this on Nolan Gorman, and that's what I've got from Nolan Gorman. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I Jim Bone said it perfectly in his piece today on The Athletic when he was talking about all the young prospects. I mean, he basically, as you guys have said, lived to that scouting report. You knew he was going to hit for power. You knew he was going to strike out. And you knew he was an average to below average defender at second base. Yep. I, I do think, and I, I think part of it too is, I think he will hit for a little bit better average as time goes on. I'm like 250 maybe. And I think part I of it is what we've been talking about. I think about. the Dan Ugla comp is exactly what he's going to yeah. be. And I think I, that's who he is. I just think it's the rookie year. You're go, you've seen him go through the ups. You've seen him make the adjustment. Baseball adjusts right back. I think next year is more of a, I don't know what you want to call it, more of a stable year for Nolan Gorman, where there's not this high and then there's this big dip, and then he goes right back up to high and then there's the big dip. I think he stabilizes more next year. His 215 shows you that 30 home run power. So, yeah, I think he's lived to every expectation I thought he was going to have this year. Dan Uglow was a three-time All-Star, a silver slugger. The guy hit for whenever he was healthy in his career before things kind of went south on him. And he he broke in way later. He was 26 years old when he was a rookie. So you're going to get more years out of Carl or, uh out of Gorman than this, you would hope at least. He was a career 245 hitter with a 340 on base percentage and for his career when he was healthy, about 10 to 15% above league average offensively. I would sign up for that today if that's what you get out of Nolan Gorman and there's a chance he could be even better than that. But I think that's kind of what you're looking at here. He's every year somewhere between 20 and 30 home runs. You get that from your second baseman, man, that's, that's one heck of a player to have on your team, especially as a lefty bat. And you can kind of maximize him even more because you can kind of platoon him if you want. Put Edmund at second base against left-handed pitching to where Gorman doesn't have to face those guys. So, yeah, I'm with you. I would sign up for that in a heartbeat, and I think there's even more potentially because you're going to be maximizing your lineup by using the splits. Final thing here from last night's game. There wasn't a ton to take away. The Cardinals did exactly what they needed to do, and you got a good performance out of Nolan Gorman and Brendan Donovan. The one other takeaway that I had, I liked what they did with Ryan Helsley. The new entrance is cool. Now, I, I do think they can add on to it. It is not Edwin Diaz's entrance, and nothing will be Edwin Diaz's entrance. That's the coolest thing in all of sports. It's not even Craig Kimbrell's entrance. <laughs> the, the let it go? Are you kidding me? I love that. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I know Tanner is out because he's an old man yelling at clouds. Yeah. I think it's cool. I like the backstory, too, of his pump-up music. His daughter came up his with it. His daughter picked I get it. it. And since then, I he has not it. allowed a base runner. Like it, uh, It's yeah, a cool story. I'm riding let it go the rest 100%. of my life. I thought it was cool what they did with Ryan Helsley. They can tweak it. It'll get better, just like with the team. You're waiting for them to peak going into the playoffs. I think they're going to peak with Ryan Helsley's entrance whenever he gets into the playoffs. But I can see how that would be a really cool moment once we get into that wild card I just have one ask. Please. Don't start with the red and the lights out. Start with the lights out and then put the red up. You see what I'm saying? Oh, so go pitch black yeah, and then add in pitch. the lighting? Yeah, like you got to build like a suspense. But we, we've got to allow Ryan Helsley to run to the mound. Well, you don't know how he, he, <laughs> you bring know where the mound is. Did you hear Gorman after the game? He said, well, I had a tough time finding where I was going. No, but Nolan Gorman needs thought to, it was cool. Nolan Gorman needs to figure some things out because it's not like it's pitch black outside. But that's what I'm saying. The lights go out. You hit that first dong. And then the red hits the screen. And then you build up to it. I, I think I'm with you there. And then maybe when you get the first dong, maybe one one section of lights 
comes on, another second comes dong. on, second dong, third dong lights, and then when you hit the yeah. main chorus, the red comes up, and then all the bam, lights bam, come bam, on a little bam, bit later. Bam. Yeah. See what I'm yeah. saying? You got to play to the dongs, BK. You got to play to the dongs. Dong. Okay. You I think play you got to flash them, too. They, no, they already no, did it. They already did it. They already did it. They did that for Seamart. We need to do a little bit of that. But you got to have more like seizures in the skin. No, yeah, you can't do that, man. We got freaking laser beams coming out. Easy, Doctor Evil. Easy, Doctor Evil. Just keep on the shark. He one hundred percent did not no, know that reference, not. right? I didn't. No, I thought you were talking like Star Wars. I want my laser beams. Yeah, that's that's also that's Austin <laughs> Powers that we're talking yeah. about right now. With Alex Ferrari, Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about fifteen minutes, I will address the slander that has been put on my name throughout this morning. I have a statement that has been prepared. A resignation. Yeah, please back away. Have it ready to go. I will be reading this coming up Are in 15 minutes. Are you willing to accept minutes. punches from everybody in the fantasy football? I'll address that. That's coming up in 15 minutes. But coming up next, can Jose Quintana be the Edwin Jackson of this playoff pitching staff? I know you guys get mad at me when I compare people to recent Cardinals. I think we can accept this one because I'm not comparing anybody to Chris Carpenter this time around. We'll do it next year oh, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And obviously, when you get to October, you'll decide who's hot, but we definitely feel like these guys could take the ball in a postseason game. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was John Mosaylock right after the trade deadline talking about Jose Quintana and Jordan Montgomery, the additions at the deadline, saying, hey, these are guys that could legitimately start playoff games if needed for the St. Louis Cardinals. Well, I don't know if they're going to need Quintana to start in the wild card round. My, my assumption would be they probably will not. However, at some point in the playoffs, Alex, given the schedule, they might have to go to a five-man rotation. And in such a scenario, Jose Quintana is going to be leaned upon. I saw this. This comes from MLB Network. This is an unbelievable statistic. Jose Quintana is the first Cardinals pitcher since 1912, which is the first year in which earned runs were tracked in the National League, so literally ever, to allow two earned runs or fewer in each of his first seven starts with the Cardinals. This is historically great stuff from Quintana. Now, to be fair, he's not going super deep into games, nor should he. He is a five-inning starter. He is the, the definition of a number five starter for a team. But when you look back at what Edwin Jackson did for the Cardinals in 2011, when he was exactly what the team needed at the deadline, he made 12 starts for the Cardinals down the stretch, ended up going about 75 innings for them, and had a 3.6 ERA. Did you know that so far, Jose Quintana has a 3.1 ERA since joining the St. Louis Cardinals? Yeah. He's been exactly what they needed and then some, just like Edwin Jackson was. You go to the playoffs. What did Edwin Jackson do for that team? Well, he started game four of the NLDS, won that one for them, went six innings, gave up two earned runs against the Phillies. Then started two games in the Milwaukee series in the NLCS, game two and game six, they ended up winning both of those games. Now, he wasn't great in that second start, but he was good enough. He was able to get the job done for them and then started a bleeping game in the World Series. They did not win it, but he gave them five and a third innings, gave up just three earned runs, gave them a chance, but their offense didn't get things done. Here's my question for you. Can Jose Quintana be this year in the playoffs what Edwin Jackson was for the Cardinals back in 2011? I don't know how you can argue that he couldn't. I mean, everything that you just said, 
he has provided all of those things. And it's not like he's gone up against bad opponents every time. I mean, Quintana's actually gone up against some quality opponents in the starts that he's had with the Cardinals. He's faced Atlanta. Uh, that was the game where he gave up two earned runs. He faced Colorado in Colorado, which we all know is not an easy task. So, I mean, yeah, I think he could do this. What I what is so fascinating to me is this is the best Jose Quintana has pitched since he was with the Chicago White Sox, like in 2014. Like you haven't seen this version of him, even when he was with the Cubs, where I know it didn't really go well for him. But still, he was in his prime at like 28 years old. He's pitching this way at 33 years old. I truly believe somewhere in Bush Stadium, there is a well that is labeled Fountain of Youth <laughs> that these guys bathe in because it is absurd how good Jose Quintana is pitching. But for the Edwin Jackson comp, I think it absolutely can be viable in the playoffs because this is what Jose Quintana has done since he's been with St. Louis. The question is, is he going to get those opportunities? Tanner, do you know Jose Quintana has a better ERA this season than, the, than Pablo Lopez? That's blasphemy. <laughs> that's no, crazy, blasphemy. right? I mean, that's statistics. That's advanced analytics. Well, and nobody looks at ERA. I've been told that. I don't know who told you that. That's in. That's just. He's not, basically not been true. Chris Bassett this year, and we we talked about going into the deadline. Hey, do the Cardinals have somebody that can go up against the Chris Bassetts of the world, the U Darvishes of the world, and that game three, right, where you got to go up against another team starter that's pretty darn good, and they put up big time numbers this year. <laughs> What's even crazier about that is you'd think he'd be the best acquisition you made, but the other He's guy not. that you acquired is is much better than that. Yeah. And this guy here, we talk about it. Like, is he going to get a start in the playoffs? Maybe depending on scheduling, he might get like one or two. Otherwise he's a guy that's going to be in your bullpen. And I think he could play a crucial role in your bullpen. And, and that's the interesting conversation about Edwin Jackson. Cause I think it's a fair comp for Edwin Jackson because Edwin Jackson was brought in to basically be what Jose Quintana is. Stabilize, that, stabilize things. Be that four or five starter for you, except they just needed Jackson in the playoffs. He ended up being the starter. I don't remember who it was. Maybe it was Lynn that dealt with an injury or something that knocked him out of the rotation for the playoffs. But I like the comp. I think he is that. And the nice thing about it is, I mean, you look at his numbers against lefties and righties. He doesn't really have splits. Righties hit for a little bit better average, but the OPS isn't something that really concerns you. So he can be utilized as a weapon out of your bullpen when it comes to like the wild card round. Or maybe you decide, you know what, we're not going to use him. Instead, we'll do like a bullpen game if we need to use a fifth starter. He can be a guy that can be effective out of the bullpen. And that's something usually you're not talking about with guys that you go to acquire at a deadline. Okay, we're going to go get this guy, and he's going to be our number five starter for us in the regular season. And then he basically just vanishes into thin air when we get to the playoffs because we want all these high-end uh high leverage relievers. The Cardinals can use Jose Quintana potentially out of the bullpen, and he's been this awesome stabilizing force for you. I think he's a weapon once you get to the playoff, whether it be as a starter or even as a reliever. So you mentioned the bullpen, and that was one of our big questions going into the month of September. So far, so good. The bullpen has been really darn good other than one game where they were not great. Jordan Hicks in particular, man, has been awesome in his last 10 appearances now, and we got to give him his full credit over his last eight innings, he has allowed zero earned runs. He has struck out 10. And if you go back even further than that, since the start of August, he has gone 16 and two-thirds innings. He's given up a total of 19 base runners, and he struck out 23. This is unlike any version of Jordan Hicks that we've seen in his career. He's never really been a strikeout guy. It's always been strange to me because he throws 104, but he doesn't strike anybody out. It doesn't make any sense. And now suddenly we're starting to see the strikeouts with an uptick. Here's Ollie Marmol yesterday after the game, speaking of a guy who might be, you know, the seventh inning reliever for the Cardinals now. He's growing quite a bit off the field and, and just having a routine and sticking to it and being committed to um, that consistency um, in his pregame work and his preparation. So I think there's a lot of 
a lot of factors in the success we're seeing with them, but I think that does play a part. Tanner, I know you were probably the lowest one on the Cardinals bullpen going into this stretch. Are you now confident in what they have available to them? You you like the idea of four high leverage relievers being available, ready to go, and that you have confidence in before we get to the playoffs. I think we've all felt confident in Gallegos and Helsley most of this season, if not the entirety of the season on the back end. We were curious what the next two look like. Can we now firmly put Jordan Hicks into that that range of guys that is now going to be like seven, eight, nine? You know, it's going to be Hicks, Gallegos, Helsley. I think you put him in. I think other, in other him. words, HGH going into the seventh, yeah. eighth, and ninth. Hey, man, we said that that is insensitive. You can't do that, man. I don't like the nickname. I like it. I think so we got to go with it. There's, there's a lot of players that disagree with that nickname. I, I think you can put Hicks into that seventh inning role. The thing that I don't want to see Hicks do, and I know they did it last night, is I don't want to see him go multiple innings because for I just don't feel comfortable with him in a second inning. And I know he looked awesome last night, and credit to him, he went two innings and he struck out one. But he's got the strikeout stuff now. As you mentioned, he hasn't shown that really before, and that's something you're going to want in the playoffs. We know Ollie has been preaching they need swing and miss stuff uh, really all season long, and now Jordan Hicks has found something where he can do that. So, yeah, I think you can slot him into that seventh inning role. My question is now who's going to be the guy that takes that next spot? Is it Jojo, Jojo. Romero? I, I don't know Jojo, what to buy into Jojo. Jojo, 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 I don't know what to buy into Jojo Romero just yet. I like what I've seen in his six innings, but how much of this it's is just kind of a chart, quick – it's not saying much, in my TJ opinion, McCarland. for your left-handed relievers. <laughs> I, I just want to see who gets that sixth sixth inning role now as that high-level reliever. Who becomes that fourth guy? I agree. Hicks has worked his way in being that third guy. Might be Jose Who's Quintana. The guy? I don't know if it's Quintana. I don't know Might if he's be Steven Matz. Might be Dakota Hudson. It could be Matz. It's definitely it's not, not Hudson. Dakota Hudson. Eight and a third. <laughs> no runs earned. Don't make me bring up the eulogy again. Yeah, well, we heard it yesterday, buddy. I, I think that right now you've got the three. I think Hicks has earned his way into that third spot. And now we get to find out who the fourth is. I think JoJo Romero can absolutely be that guy. I think guy. that's your guy right now. I think he can be. I'm just not sure. Like, it's the same with kind of the Lars Newpar effect for me of like, okay, You're I'm seeing Lars. Lars. I'm seeing Lars Newpar perform really well. Lars Newpar? Yeah, I'm seeing Lars Newpar perform really it's well been right three now. Months, man. But I'm not, not going to buy into that. I'm not going to buy into No, I buy into that one because that guy's a Hall of Famer. Romero has not so given up. Lars. A, Romero has not given up a run for the Cardinals. In now, six innings. R- Romero is a much smaller sample size. I I need to see it longer as well. I need to see it the rest it's only of been this. Seven month. innings for Hicks since he gave up like four earned runs and I couldn't just get him out. Sixteen and two thirds. No, I didn't hear that. That he he's given up 19 base runners in the last 16 and two thirds innings. He's, he's been really good since the beginning of August. Now that's not true. If JoJo Romero can continue this, I do think he can be that guy. If Steven Matz gets back up by you know early next week and he gives you like three or four strong outings where he's got the strikeout stuff and the velocity's playing up 97, 98 miles per hour as a guy that's coming out of your bullpen, that could be the guy that comes in in those high leverage spots for you. I think you've got options. Now we've just got to find out, okay, who is that player? And by the way, we haven't even mentioned Andre Pallante, who if there's a lefty coming up or like multiple lefties in a row, he's the guy that's probably coming in in that sixth inning to be able to get you out of that tight spot. So they've got options. Now we get to find out who specifically we're going to be going with. Coming up in 15 minutes, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers. But I will be making a statement. I have been besmirched. That's not a word. Unfairly. That's not sure. a word. This isn't a good start I have to been your speech. slandered. That's a word. And I will not accept it. I will make a statement on behalf of my own credibility as the commissioner of our fantasy football league next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
our 101 ESPN studios. My name is Alex Ferrario. I will be the uh, the leader through all of this for you. We are all gathered here today <clears throat> for an address because of our fantasy football picks here at 101 ESPN. For those of you that don't know, we started a fantasy football league with our 101 ESPN affiliates and... We don't have any affiliates, just us. <laughs> Shut up for a minute, sir. <laughs> the commissioner, well, the commissioner did uh, malpractice to us. Nope. <laughs> he set the draft to 30 seconds in between picks. And we have Kerry Davis in, we have Matt Rocchio, we have Action Jackson, Tanner Hendrickson, Alex Ferrario. We will take questions today. And we'll take questions from you in the Air Comfort Service text on at 65780. But before we attack the commissioner, gentlemen, <laughs> before we attack him, seems unnecessary. We're going to allow him to explain himself. Mr. Uh, Mr. Kylie, please take it away. Yeah, thank you. Um, Going to be making a brief statement here today, and then I'd be happy to, <laughs> to answer any of your questions, sir. Brief. We, if you yeah, turn, seconds, turn off your you microphone. Carrie's eyes twitching. You better make it real brief. <laughs> <laughs> not going to look him in the eye. <laughs> I am speaking either. today to address recent criticism of my decision to shorten the length between picks. I'm aware of the criticism. I don't appreciate the criticism. And I will not stand by as my name is slandered on these airwaves. I would like to make a few notes of what took place last night in the draft that had nothing to do with the time of the picks. Tim McKernan willingly took a kicker in the sixth round. <laughs> Matt Rocchio arrived to Buffalo Wild Wings after his first pick was on the clock. Alex Ferrario did two drafts at once and didn't know he was picking in either of them. Very true. And Brad Thompson was quite literally on the air on Valley Sports Midwest as he made exactly one pick in our league. He stepped in, he was on the clock, he took Jamal Williams, and he went back to calling the Cardinals games. If anyone is to blame for what took place last night in the bleep show of our draft, it was my fellow draft mates for their ineptitude in drafting. I will take all of the credit for our draft going quickly and none of the blame for it going poorly. Good luck and God bless. Go fighting Albertos. The best is yet to come. All right, so now we're going to be take... taking any questions at this time. No, we will take questions, Mr. Kylie. Because <laughs> we got plenty. I'd like to field the first question if that's all right. Can you explain how you had the first overall draft pick? Yeah, yeah, this is that, easy. That, um, <laughs> let's start there. <laughs> yes. 30 yes. seconds in between and he gets first pick. Yeah, I, yes. This is uh this is it's not a difficult. Sham. And um It's because I earned it, let's be honest. Like I took all of there the money go. from you guys. I put everything there together. I, I earned the right to go. have the number one overall pick in a year where the number one overall pick is very important. Well, well here's the thing. You if you if you were not there as 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 Rocchio was not, you Correct. wouldn't know that he had the first pick because by the time you got there, three minutes after the draft started, we were already in the third round. Very true. I, I mean it was it was it was 
it was so bad, Alex. It was so bad. It was the ninth round. I'm looking on the board, and Miles Sanders is still available. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world is going on? He's a starting running back for the Philadelphia Eagles. Or is he? Because there's an injury report. So what do I do? But you know what, Kerry? You can't pull out the depth chart. Check. Apparently because in 2022, you got to make sure he didn't I, get shot. I can't. Like, that, 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 that is well. I can't check. I By tried way, to check. God bless Brian Robinson. We hope everything's okay. Oh, he's fine. He's been back in a couple weeks. Not that you're fine when you get shot, but he's fine. Um, so, as I was saying, Miles Sanders still on the board. I'm ninth round. I'm freaking out. What's going on? Is he injured? Did I miss some news being here and being at practice all day because he's not taken? Eight seconds left. I got to make a decision because I only had 30 seconds to begin with. So, I just pick him blindly and pray for the best. You know, I... I I would, like to, uh, I would please, like to address please, your please address question. Question. I'm not sure there's questions here, a question. sir. That wasn't a question. That was more me ranting and venting about this draft and the time that I had to make Ms. my choice. Mr. Kelly, that question came yeah. from the gentleman who's wearing the shirt that says, Miles Sanders was not my pick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I understand. Um, so I would like to address this, uh, this comment, this criticism, if you will, and I would like it to be known that I also had an issue with, with my drafting situation. Was it your first overall pick? Yeah, it no, couldn't have been because no, he had plenty of time. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was fine. You know how much time he had between the first and his next pick. It was the next round, unfortunately. I was okay. on the turn because, of course, I gave myself the first round pick, or the first overall pick. <laughs> and uh, it was the fourth and fifth round. This is where the issue took place. What I was unaware of is on the fantasy <laughs> app that we were using, Yahoo!, I let it expire. My time expired with my first pick because I wanted to give myself a little bit of time <laughs> to be able to figure out what I was doing with the second pick. So I let it expire with my player in queue. That player, I believe, was T. Higgins at the time. What I did not know is that it will auto pick for you immediately upon doing that. And it took the top overall player. So I ended up with Joe Burrow, which it's a fine pick. But at the time, I was very upset. I didn't want Joe Burrow. Um, so I also was unfairly maligned by all right let's go to the, the gentleman the in the clock. back um who who did not have a good outing on his fantasy football draft <laughs> first of all i strongly disagree with that <laughs> i think i cleaned up i think you guys were leaving stars disagrees i i thought i got a great haul i had the second overall pick and i liked the third so name so is I no party complaints. which i respect See, he got he got a second overall pick no one yeah, i got no, no complaints, complaints. Yeah, no complaints. i think that deandre hopkins in like the 12th round he's gonna be like the best receiver in football okay, after so he's games. gonna lose the fantasy football draft this year <laughs> gentlemen uh with the glasses can we can we get your question please for Listen, mr kiley I, I deserve to, to auto draft my first overall my, my third overall pick i deserve that the second and third round i like how what third round of a draft is done at the eight minute mark of the draft the draft started at 6 45 at 652 we're in the middle of the third or fourth round Look. listen 45 minutes for a <laughs> we got stuff to do is man it, is it a 12 teamer is it 12 These teams people right? have kids yeah. in their lives 12 teams 15 rounds yeah. 45 Look. minutes i let's put it this way if brandon kiley was running minor league baseball and dakota hudson gets sent down he would walk Whoa. in four runs before he'd actually get a pitch thrown <laughs> And Whoa. that is on him. Right. That that's is him that's, that's enough out of you, sir. We're done with your comments. Look, I had a draft at 645 in here. And then I had one at 715. I still My 715 one that started, ours was in the 10th round. 10 rounds of a draft by the time I started another one in 30 minutes. Yep. I nearly uh, missed is, a is there a, is, is this a bad question. thing? That's I, I do have a question. What the hell were you thinking? Thank that, you. That, that's my question. I gotta, I gotta what follow were up to, you thinking, sir? So, so listen. <laughs> I'm going to follow up to Carrie's question. Who do you think you are? 
mistakes were made. Uh, I learned an important, valuable <laughs> lesson last night. This, hold on, let me stop you because the the, the ultimate thing I'm is he sends. I'm gonna let you finish. <laughs> I'm gonna let you finish. But listen, he sends a message to the group chat and says, "Wow, that was fast." <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> you just realized that after it's over. I didn't have time to text anybody before then. I was what were t- we so. It was me, Rocky, O'Tanner, Randy, and uh, and Marshy that were at Buffalo Wild Wings. We were all there to, for the draft. And normally, it's a good old time. You know, you're laughing. You're ribbing each other no. over terrible picks. No. No. <laughs> there was no chatting whatsoever. I started out. Look at this, Carrie. So what I like to do, I've got two things at all times that I've got going on while I'm doing a fantasy draft. Not I'm trying on this to draft. Like the cheat sheet, right, that everybody's got available. You're marking <laughs> off the players. I'm marking those off. And in the first couple of rounds, I'm marking off the positions that everybody's got. So that way I know, you know, okay, could a quarterback come back to me, tied in, whatever. That has exactly two marks on it because by the time I got back around, I realized very quickly, this is impossible. There's not enough time to make all of this happen. It was, it was genuinely one of the more anxiety-driven things I've ever done in my life. What, a couple I of, felt like I needed a cigarette last night after the draft, and I don't even I smoke. A couple of questions from our listeners, if that's all right, yeah, Mr. Please. Kylie. Uh, one is asking, were there any adult beverages indulged before the draft started? Uh, yeah, of course. There were uh, there were two okay. at, at Buffalo Wild Wings for me. They had the happy hour going on. Alex, you know that we are big yeah. fans of Buffalo Wild Wings happy hour. They had $3 drafts for us, and... Uh, yeah, two were consumed last night. Prior so you were to inebriated the when you created this draft. That's all we needed to know. The service there was impeccable. I ordered in the fourth round. It was so fast. I got my food by the eleventh round. It was like fifteen. It was like ten seconds. It was like six minutes on the entire order. Right, so as we service. as we conclude this press conference, we're getting a, we're getting a lot of I, thoughts you know, asking Tim, to impeach the commission. I have a question too, probably from Tim, because Tim, you mentioned drafted the first kicker. Did you tell me you changed the kicking points in the fantasy league too? Oh, oh yeah, he's changed no, the points. Oh, 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 Nobody oh, else seems to know. Oh, I think. Justin Tucker oh, seems oh, to have a specialty. Go over your fantasy oh, league oh, format, boys. Justin Tucker seems to be good at one thing. So it's three points for every field goal. That's it. Oh, all right. Instead of getting the is Justin Tucker good at a specific kind of field goal? Potentially, maybe ones that are worth more in other fantasy leagues. Yeah, well, that's on him. He should have looked at the format. Okay, I see. The settings have been there for a week. I will say there was there was one other potential issue that almost took place yesterday. This is the final thing that I'll mention. Jeez. So we almost didn't draft yesterday. He said it for 2023. No, no, no. I said it for next Tuesday. Oh, God. So I woke up yesterday, and I wanted to make sure, you know, everything's ready to go. Was it specific, well, was it specific time or central time? So it's specific time. Let me, let me, I'm going to let you finish. But, uh, so I went back in, and I, I was checking all the league settings, and I was like, man, I... The 13th, that's weird. I, I don't think that is today. <laughs> Check the date. I was like, no, today's the 6th. We're going to have to change that over. And then I also realized that it's set to Pacific time on, <laughs> on Yahoo. So not only were we drafting next Tuesday, but instead of it being at 645 oh. Central time, it was 645 Pacific time. So we were drafting next Tuesday at 845 Central oh. time. All right. All in favor of uh, <laughs> impeaching this commissioner, say hey. aye. Aye. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> 
Gentlemen, Everything thank, went off thank without you for the questions. <laughs> I thought it was a successful draft. I appreciate you guys for being a part of the league. It's going to be thank a great you. time. Thank <laughs> you, thank you, thank you, Speaker Ferrario. You're a disgrace to America, President Kylie. <laughs> yes, yes, you are. Six five seven eight zero zero Comfort Service X line from the three one four. This is the only text we're reading in this segment. Honestly, this sounds awesome. I'm going to advocate for this in the future. Thank you, kind sir. Questions and answers <laughs> coming up next. <laughs> We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Ear Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Thank you all for uh, being a part of our press conference. I hope that addressed any of the President Kylie's not going to show his face around here for a very long that time. That may have yeah. arised. All right, let's we start with this. Point a new commissioner. Yeah, we from really the T-Bone. I, I know. I know you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate the nomination. I will gladly accept. From the three one four. Hey guys, wanted to ask you, what am I missing with the New Orleans Saints? I saw earlier this week that Peter King picked them to go to the Super Bowl. Are they a team that you're believing in going into the year? I mean, the problem with the Saints is their quarterback. I don't know what to make of Jameis Winston. And their coach. Like I, The two maybe most important things that you can have, I have no idea what Dennis Allen is as a coach because the last time we saw him as a head coach, didn't go well. Like I, I took Alvin Kamara mm-hmm. and Michael Thomas in our draft, and I got Kamara in the second round, and I got Thomas in like the eighth round. I'm high on those two players because when healthy, I think they're two of the best at their position. I took the Saints defense because I think they could be a top five defense this year. It all comes in or their offensive line. They have great offensive line numbers. Their problem is Jameis Winston. If Jameis Winston is a 40 touchdown guy, then we're talking about a Saints team that could be one of the best in the NFC. Solid 40-40. But if he's also a 40 interception guy, then we're talking about a team that's probably 8-9 and at the end of the season. Yeah, I'm with Alex. Like, I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender. I think they've got a really good roster. The thing is, is I have the two big question marks. What's your head coach like? First year back doing that. And then what's Jameis Winston like? I liked what we saw from Winston last year before he got hurt. And I understand that they were close to being a playoff team last year until I think the final five games they had to start. Uh, Trevor Simeon and Ian Book, which is a combo for five straight losses. I like the roster. I think I could see them getting a wild card spot, but if I, I just can't buy into the hype around Winston as being a guy that can like take them to the promised land. I could see them being kind of like the I'm trying to think of the best comp for them. Kind of like the 49ers were last year, like a 10 and 7 team where you never really believe in it. But all along, you're like, man, I mean, if things break right, they could they could go on a run. I, I don't think it should shock anybody if they end up in the NFC Championship game. they got a lot They've, of weapons in the wide receiver realm, dude, too. Yeah, I mean, Jarvis Landry, Chris Olave, Michael Thomas, that's a really good top three. They still have Marquez Cal- Caldwell, too? Uh, Yeah, Marquez Callaway. And then Traquan Smith's there as well, still. Yeah. So they've got... They've got legitimate options for themselves. And again, that defense could be excellent this year. I mean, it, it has a real chance to be... I mean, they could be the best defense in, in, in the NFL. Yeah. So... I don't know, man. I'm, it all comes down to their quarterback. I'm skeptical because of their quarterback and their head coach. But do they have the roster talent to do something special this year? Yeah, I, I think they absolutely could. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's get to this one from the 618. Hey, guys, who is the team that, as we are getting getting into the final month of the season, was the biggest disappointment in baseball this year? 
Who do you guys think was the biggest disappointment this year? I know a lot of people would say the Yankees, but I think the Yankees ran into injuries more than anything. So, like, it's a disappointment, but if they get healthy, they actually could be a decent team come the end of the regular season. Is the same true of the Red Sox? Because I think you could maybe make an argument for them. They're three games below 500. I didn't expect them to be oh, very you know good this season, though. It's the, White it's the White Sox. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, that's my that's my pick, because you look at all the talent that they had there. You look at their manager who you thought was going to lead them to a World Series. And it has all been for nothing. The Guardians are currently winning that division. They're basically having they essentially have the same winning percentage on the year as the Brewers. And the White Sox are three games back of them. That's and Awful. a lot of people that when you listen to baseball podcasts, read about it, they say the Guardians have the third best roster in that division behind the White Sox and behind the Twins. Yep. So I think White Sox for sure is up there. I don't know if you would call the Angels disappointing because I thought I they mean, weren't going to be good at the beginning yeah, of the year. You got two of the best players in the game. Yeah, so. but then he went off on and they started off hot. Remember, everybody was like, wow, what will they finish with? Will they win the West? And now you and look at them. they fired their manager. Yeah, and Honestly, it's just gone south. But I think, I think Boston's a good one. <laughs> I think Boston's a good one. I think White Sox. I think those would probably be the two that I would say Who's really the most disappointing in the National League. Is it the Giants? I no, because I think the Giants. I think the Giants I ran think, into a good season last year, and then they lost Buster Posey, and that was a big piece I, for them. I think it's Miami. See, I think it's the Brewers. I think Milwaukee's there now, but like looking at their season I mean, the as Brewers a whole, are still it's still seven say. games above five hundred. Yeah. Like I, I think the Cardinals have just overperformed compared to most people's expectations. Would it be the Padres? Because the Tatis Jr. stuff. No, because I think they're, they're going to get the into trade, the playoffs, yeah, and that's their make, whole hope. Maybe. maybe. They yeah, might yeah. They're getting in. They, I, they, might be, they might be the team. I think that would be my team, because that's a team that I thought was going to push. Once they made the trade, at the beginning of the season, I thought they'd make it interesting with the Dodgers. When they made the trade for Soto, I thought it was absolutely guaranteed. And now they might make the playoffs. They might not make the playoffs. I think the, the moral of the story of what we're talking about here is the National League has kind of con- gone according to plan. We said going into the year, the Dodgers, the Padres, the Cardinals, the Mets, and the Braves felt like the top tier in the National League. And there was some question as to whether or not the Cardinals would get into that top tier. I think the Cardinals have essentially replaced the Padres in that tier at this point. But the Padres are still like the next tier below, along with the Brewers and the Phillies, which is kind of what we thought going into the year. So while the American League has had some real surprises, the National League's pretty much gone according to plan. I'm a little surprised how bad Miami's been. And I think that's why I put them at the underachiever because I, I thought San Francisco would take a, ste- take a step back. I told you guys at the beginning kind of, of the year that I didn't think they consensus. were a playoff team. Miami, I thought, had a shot because of their pitching. And they went out in the offseason. They added uh, all those offensive bats. They added Solaire. Uh, they added, who's the other outfielder? I think they added another outfielder from drawing a blank on his name. But they added some pieces to their offense. I thought, okay, well, that offense can't be as bad as it was last year. And in fact, it's been even worse. They de- designated their uh, starting first baseman in the year and Aguilar for assignment so Abigail Garcia that's who you're thinking of right that's it yeah. yeah yeah so the, everything's gone just worse for Miami they still have the pitching it's amazing to see how they're still losing I think they're the biggest underachiever in the National League Jorge Soler is batting 207 on the year Abigail Garcia batting 229 they both have a slugging percentage at or below 400 yeah so, yeah, it has not gone according to plan offensively. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. That's coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, speaking of the National League, we have talked a lot about whether or not the Cardinals are at risk at all of losing this division. I think we can put that to bed after last night. Are we going to start talking about the number two seed and skipping the wild card round? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Memphis Mets in this this Braves teams right now that are they're ahead of us for that number two seed. Let's push for that because it's not out of the question. And if we keep pushing, I love the intensity and I love the the, the urgency and the, the the gamesmanship coming down the line, coming down the stretch. I love that kind of excitement from each player. There's no complacency there. I love that excitement going into the playoffs because the teams that have the best playoffs sometimes are not the teams that sit on their haunches the last week because they've already clinched. Sometimes they're those wild card teams yep. and those teams that, that have to push all the way to the last game. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Adam Wainwright on with Carriker and Smallman. I think we're still calling it that on the morning show earlier today. If you missed any of their conversation, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. By the way, coming up at 145, we will give you a chance to win a four-pack of tickets to next week's Budweiser Bash. You'll be able to go see Adam Wainwright's teammates against the Milwaukee Brewers. So we'll get into that coming up. Up yeah, at 145. But right now, we got to talk about what he was mentioning there the battle for the number two seed. Guys, I had written this off. I just assumed it's going to be one of the Mets or the Braves, and the likelihood is it's going to be the Mets. That no longer feels like it's going to be the case. The Mets have lost five of their last eight games, and they're doing so against some of the poor opponents on their schedule. They have lost against Colorado in this stretch, they have lost two out of three against Washington, and then they lost last night. At Pittsburgh as well. That's funny. What, what, what is going on here? And secondarily, do you guys think that the Cardinals, who are five games back right now of the Mets and the Braves, who are now tied atop the National League East, do the Cardinals have a real shot down the stretch to be able to catch those two teams? I think so. I mean, somebody already texted in and said there's no way they can catch the Braves. I actually think the Braves are the team that you can catch. The Mets are going to be the difficult one, but I think that's also within the realm of possibility. I mean, the Braves have a tough schedule the rest of the way. They got the athletics later on today, but then it's Seattle, San Francisco, Philadelphia, Washington, Philadelphia, Washington, the Mets, the Marlins. Like that is a gauntlet of a schedule the rest of the way. And we talked about the Mets yesterday. Yeah, they got some games against the Pirates, but they also have to play against the Cubs, where we've seen the pitching staff be really good for them. Mm-hmm. They got the Marlins. They've got the Braves. And by the way, the Mets are breaking. Like They, that's they, the they can't hit right now. You just had Max Scherzer go on the IL, and he's trying to downplay this. But you know he's not going on the IL at this point in the season unless it's something that's... Maybe it's not like super serious, but it's something that's clearly bothering. I mean, him. the guy had fatigue last year or whatever yep. it was, and then you're carrying into this season. And Jacob Degrom's always break glass in case of emergency. You said here. this at the beginning of the year. You're not buying into them until uh, they I, actually do it, and they're they're metzing right and now. That's the path that I think you have. The they Mets are. are breaking. They, they Turn are. Turn it into an adjective? Yeah, just they're did. metzing. This is what you expect they the Mets to find season. a way at the end of the year to screw it up somehow. Mets will break. The Braves have a tough schedule, and the Cardinals, with the exception of the Dodgers, the Brewers, and the Padres series, have an easy path. So I think this is actually very doable to get second place in the National League. On August 14th, the Mets were 75-40, and and they had just won two out of three against Philadelphia. And then in their next four games, they had to take on the Atlanta Braves. They lost three out of those four, and since then, they have not been the same team. They've looked broken since then. That was like the same stretch where the Cardinals basically broke the Brewers. And at that point in time, the Brewers and the Mets took a step back. And it feels like it's in that same stretch, the Braves and the Cardinals have taken a step forward. I will say this. If the Cardinals don't get that two seed, 
I hope the Mets keep it because if the Cardinals end up winning in that wild card round, they will have to face whoever that two seed is. And I would much rather face the Mets at this point in time than the Braves. That Braves team is an absolute juggernaut, man. I, I would much rather go through New York in the NLDS than Atlanta in the NLDS. Where are you guys on that? If the always, Cardinals do stay in the, the three seed. What do they always say? To be the best, you got to beat the best. Ugh. I mean, I get you be afraid of them. But I'll take them on later. I want to at least get to the NLCS. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't mind. I think if the Cardinals are playing the way that they have been playing right now, I don't think it matters who they're taking on because they're going to have so much momentum going into the postseason. They've got the pitching stuff set up. I think the only thing you're a little concerned about is how the Atlanta Braves beat up on left-handed pitchers. And if that was the case, if you're playing against the Braves in that NLDS, Montgomery's not starting. I don't know who else you're starting. Well, no, but I'm saying that five game series, you have to. Yeah, but what I'm saying is you're kind of pushing that back a little bit. Maybe you're flipping one start. Yeah, you're flipping it around to where Flaherty, Michaelis, and Wayno are getting a lot more starts in that circumstance. Maybe Dakota Hudson. I'm kidding. Oh, no, it would be Dakota Hudson. Guys, calm down. And a third of no runs allowed. Um, I I would if you're going to ask me between those two I would still rather take on the Braves I think I know they're playing good baseball but I mean you saw how the Cardinals match up against them here in St Louis against Atlanta I thought they were pretty even the Mets I I think right now you're a better team but what would scare me is is they get the bye they have more time to get healthy and then you have the potential of Max Scherzer getting more time to rest and then get back to being I don't know if you can say he's back to 100 percent himself but he gets closer to being that Degrom has rest instead of having to pitch his way through uh, so I would much rather see the I mean, it's Braves. Not that much rest though, man. It's three days. <laughs> like, I get it, but that's three <laughs> crucial days in my opinion. Like yeah. I know it sounds like it's only three days. When was the last time we saw the Cardinals get three off days? I, I'm with you. It, we haven't. Listen, it it matters. It doesn't happen in the regular season. That's what I'm saying. It matters. It's not nothing, but it is not a like massive amount of time. Like in the NFL, when you get that two weeks off, that is a huge deal. In Major League Baseball, if you get three days off, it's nice. You, I mean, you like it. You'd rather have it. But that essentially guarantees like all your starters are ready to go, and that's the big yeah, thing you, for me. You can set up your starters the way you want to. I, I understand that there is there's definitely value, and ha- I would rather have the two seed for for that reason. A, you I'd get rid have of the one seed. T- totally agree. You get rid of that fifty fifty series in the wild card round that you no longer have to play. Like just write that off. Your odds improve significantly as a result of that. But also, you get the three days off. That's nice. I, I don't think that the rest changes the way that I feel about one team versus oh, the other. I, though. It changes I, a lot for me with the Mets because they can get healthy. And that, that's the thing. And you I know think they're getting healthy in three days. I, I think, think it so. allows you to set up Scherzer to Grom to where you could get them one, two. And all of a sudden I'm down two oh coming back here to St. Louis. They're going to have that either way. Like think, we're just assuming that you're playing days, one of those two, two teams. When in you're the a team that's breaking like the Mets, that three days is crucial. Doesn't and that's matter, what the Dodgers though. are thinking now, too. Thank goodness we've got three days to potentially if, get some guys back. But if you're the Mets, Max Scherzer has been on the IL already this season. He's going on it again. Like you're starting to get, you're trending towards that direction where the injuries continue to pop up. That is massive for me. Plus also you have Jacob DeGrom who could break at any minute. I mean, yeah, I would much rather probably take on the New York Mets at this point, even if they get those days off because you're starting to see them break. But again, I mean, you just took two or three against the Braves. I think you're pretty similar with them also. So I don't think it matters at this point. I think the team you don't want to face is the Dodgers right away. Yeah, and you're not going to face them because they've locked in the number one seed. If you guys had to choose between one of these two pitchers, who would you rather see um, in a playoff game? Spencer Strider or Jacob deGrom? (laughs) Both aren't going to go very well for you after how we saw them play against Strider. I'd probably say, I know they've struggled against Strider, but I'd probably say Strider because I think DeGrom's the best pitcher in baseball. I think I'd go DeGrom because 
I've seen I did, it I think, Strider. No, it goes poorly. Yeah, I, like I want does Degrom <laughs> really poorly? I don't know if Degrom goes more than five innings. I mean, he went Strider probably six or wouldn't seven. either for what it's worth. I think Degrom went seven in his last outing, six or seven, something like Every that. Every time he goes past five, I just assume he's going to break. Yeah, it. The one thing that you like about going up against the Braves, all of those are you is Freed because he's a lefty, and so you've got a shot against him. Yeah, and but they're not going to pitch him. He's their ace. They have to. Like I, for mo- most of the time, I'm with you, man. I think it's manager managerial malpractice to throw a lefty against the Cardinals. Max Freed will start game one against the Cardinals in the NLDS because he's he's their best guy. He's been their and best Snicker guy from start to finish. Sell it of well, why'd you not pitch no. him? Well, because the Cardinals kill lefties. Yeah, but he's been your ace all year. How do you not pitch him? Like yep. it's the same tough reason that Wayno is going to play for the Cardinals. He's going to start one of those games in the playoffs. Like, how do you sell if you don't? You, you can't. He's been one of your best dudes, and I I don't care if a, another team has great numbers against him. Wayno's going to start. Yeah, like that that dude is Home one of away. your guys. Yeah, regardless of where where it is, he's he's going to be one of your guys. 65780 is the air cup for service tax line in 15 minutes. I think we can put this story to rest for the Cardinals in the offseason, but would you consider re signing another guy? We'll talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. Better to forget it coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets him up, and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's Bet It or Forget It on 101 ESPN. Comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. Guys, bet it or forget it. The Cardinals will make a big trade in the offseason for a starting pitcher for somebody like a Shane Bieber. I don't know if you guys have checked lately, but Shane Bieber has been outstanding once again for the Cleveland Guardians. They are leading the AL Central. He has a 2.95 ERA and 167 innings. Those injury concerns have mostly gone to the wayside. He has two years left on his current deal in arbitration, and he's about to start making real money. And we know this is when the Cleveland Guardians typically start to cut bait. He's at $6 million this year in arbitration. I bet you he gets to like 12-ish, somewhere around there, maybe 15, going into next year because of how great of a season he's had. Better to forget it. Maybe it's not specifically Shane Bieber, but the Cardinals make a big trade for a starting pitcher like that in the offseason. I'm going to forget this one. I think they're going to allocate the money towards another position because they're going to view it as okay next season we've got jack we've got miles we've got jordan montgomery if quintana keeps pitching like this it wouldn't surprise me if they re-up him and then you've also got the wainwright if he's coming back dakota hudson I, I i think if they're going to allocate money it's going to go towards the catcher position or another outfielder so i'm going to forget that they go after a big time starting pitcher yeah, I'm going to forget that they go make a trade for a starting pitcher. I, I, they could make a big trade, but I could see it being more of like upgrading at like corner outfield or something like that or upgrading up the middle. I don't know if there's the guys out there to go make it towards a big time splashy trade that you see. I, I can't see them doing pitching because Alex just ran off the names for you. I mean, they've got already basically if you bring back Wayno, you're starting five is set. And then you've got Hudson. That's a depth guy. You've got Libertor, depth guy, Hudson, a depth guy. Like, I think you're set at starting pitching. Got Hudson twice in that. It's not a depth guy. You put two depth guys together, that's a number two in a rotation. Sorry, I meant Palante. That's the other one I meant to say, not Hudson. <laughs> I was like, I was like, like, we're really excited about Hudson again, huh? Oh, I can't believe I'm did doing this Did you see the eight and a third yesterday? Eight and two thirds. You're even no, short No, and them. neither did you. No, I didn't. I just saw the highlights, <laughs> but it was really exciting. Are we sure Wayno's coming back? 
No, I, but I'll go ahead and ask the I'm question gonna, that we're all thinking out no, loud. No, but I'm going to put him in there because he belongs back. I forgot Steven Matz's name. <laughs> Sorry. Wayno's coming back. He belongs to be back. So Michaelis, Matz. Whatever. It's going to solidify the Hall of Fame. Montgomery. Bid. He'll come back. Who else do we know for sure is going to be a part Jack. of the rotation next year? Did you say Jack Flaherty? Jack. Dak. Wayno, Jack, Montgomery. I, I'm not, Wayno's not Michael. for sure. Wayno on the side for a second. Are we sure Jack is so part can, of this? This guy must hate the Cardinals. Michaelis, Matt, Montgomery, and Jack for sure are part of your five-man rotation. Hudson. I think, nope. that's where, I, I think the Cardinals will go into the offseason having these conversations of, does it make more sense for us to get a guy that we think can be, of our, be a part of our rotation more long-term than Wayno next year? Now, I understand... That might not go over well with some fans to see Wayno next year pitching in, for example, in Atlanta Braves uniform. And I get that. I think that they will bring Wayno back. I think that they should bring Wayno back. But there's at least a case to be made that it would make sense for them to go out there and acquire a younger, more cost-controlled starter going into the Can offseason. Can I take you down a path here for a second Please. going through that? Let's, let's hold hands I've and we'll walk this. down no, no, this yellow brick road together. Don't touch my hand. Okay. Sorry. I've well, done this before and well, it doesn't turn out well. You tell me, because you just brought this up, what if you bring back Wainwright and the, the determination to go get a more younger, cost-controlled pitcher, you see what you like from Jack Flaherty here, and you put him in a package to go get a more younger, cost-controlled pitcher. Because the reason I think Wainwright... You could probably I, do it in two separate deals, but I see where we're going. I, I think the reason that you bring Waino back is, one, he's a legacy player here in St. Louis, and we yeah. know the Cardinals like those guys. Two, it probably if I had to guess, next year would probably be his last year because it's going to be the chase to 200 wins. <laughs> Hello, ticket sales! Uh, and then also it, re- it they signifies wouldn't sign somebody just Hall for ticket sales, T-Bone. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, and then it, it's it's a basically it's the year that solidifies his Hall of Fame case. He was good again this year. Jack Flaherty, we know he's going to be a free agent next year or the year after. Excuse me. He's going to be probably looking for a big payday. You've had the health concerns with him the last two years. Makes sense. I think he makes more sense if you're going to look to replace one of the five that I think are locked in. I it's probably it. Jack Flaherty, and you include him in a package, whether it be separate or to go get a younger cost control pitcher. I would do it. I would look at guys like Jack Flaherty, Nolan Gorman. Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson put together in packages and look yeah. to see if you could get, because if you could go get yourself a Shane Bieber. Alec Burleson's a guy. Yeah. I like one of Alec Burleson or Juan Yepes are likely to be traded mm. this offseason. But if you can go get, let's be honest, if you could go get yourself Shane Bieber and you're flipping Jack Flaherty for that, it, it, maybe not. Maybe even take a step down. Maybe it is Pablo Lopez. That's the guy that everyone wanted. I mean, you're getting cost control and you're getting a younger player who hasn't had I mean, I guess they both of those guys have had the injury history also, but they've proven to be ace caliber pitchers. Yeah, 65780 is your cover service X line from the 636. Are you guys crazy? Are you saying that the Cardinals have enough pitching for next year? We never have enough pitching. I, I would also add this. I would trade for an extra starter, a guy who you think can either be in your rotation or be in the bullpen going into next year. Would you trade or just sign Jose Quintana? I don't think that the, that guy's signing here. I, I don't think they would do it. Like, why, if I'm, for example, Jose Quintana, if I look at it in Wayno's back next year, Michaelis, Wayno, Mats, Montgomery, Jack, why am I signing there when I'm probably going to be a bullpen on for you guys next I, year? I think they I would their, rather sign elsewhere. I think they have their guy already. I think it's Polante. I, I think they feel comfortable to where it's. Well, don't they have or the Hudson, McGreevy and Graceffo that you guys yeah, have been talking about a lot? I, I think probably they're going to be, be a year away, probably, until they're like legitimate starting options. I think either of those guys could help you in the bullpen next year. And then Mosellock's prized possession, Matthew Liebertor. Yeah, well, we'll see. Yeah! As, as of now, he can't get out right handed hitters, and unless you can, you, you can't be a, a starter. 
Less nicely to Dakota Hudson couldn't get out lefties, and look at him now. Oh. He's an ace. At least those are 25% of the hitters that you're facing, and righties are about 70% of them. Um, yeah, go get Otani. I, I would trade for a young starter that's like a Puante that can come in and uh, probably has better splits against righties to potentially be a, a member of my rotation. That, that would be the way that I would go about it if you do bring back Wayno next year. Um, if like you, to manage against you. If you don't, though, or if you decide to trade Jack Flaherty, I think what you guys are mentioning here about trading Jack elsewhere and then bringing in another guy that has more cost control, I think that makes a lot of sense for the Cardinals. Yeah, we're about Drew Verhagen next season, guys. Oh, okay. Uh, I think I'm going to go ahead and do exactly that. <laughs> 65780 <laughs> is the Air Comfort Service X line for bet it or forget it. Guys, bet it or forget it. The Green Bay Packers will finish this season with fewer than 10 wins. I'm going to forget this. I think they're probably right around 10. They got a really good defense. Yeah. That's what's going to help them. And look, like it or not, they don't have the weapons. They do have the weapons. Still got Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers can make the best the out of nothing. AFC East and NFC East this year. And people are forgetting their running backs. Like Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon are awesome. Like that might be the best one-two punch in football. So yeah. I think... I don't think they're a 12 win team like they've been in the past, but I think you're probably looking at a 10 win team, maybe 11 if things go right. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I'm through just week 10. Their schedule, I've already got them slated for like seven wins. I mean, you get the Bears twice. You should beat oh, them. You easy. should beat the Lions twice. You probably potentially split with Minnesota, if not beat them twice. Then, as you mentioned, I mean, they should beat everybody basically in the AFC East except for the Bills, and they should probably beat everybody in the NFC East except maybe the Eagles and Cowboys and that's a split there and then you can probably find a couple of like throw-in games where it's 50-50 where they got a shot so I, I can't see them lose or winning less than 10 I'm with Alex I think around 10-11 is probably the right number for the Green Bay Packers yeah that I think that sounds about right I think they win at least 10 though this year I'd be pretty surprised if the Packers didn't win 10 plus games and yeah. that's not a shot a sign of faith in them so much as a a lack of faith in the rest of the NFC. Right. If they were in the AFC West, I would definitely bet this. I would take the under on the 10 wins. While but. we're saying this, Matt LaFleur said that Alan Lazard got stepped on last week and won't be practicing today. Good Lord. Their guys are getting stepped on right now. Uh, yeah, I, I, I got them at 10 wins just scrolling through their schedule real quick. Who is their number one pass catcher? I, I don't anymore. say wide receiver for a reason. Who Tunyon. will catch the most passes I on the I think it's either Tunyon or one of their running backs. I think it's Aaron Jones. Yeah. I think he finishes the season with the most. I actually, catches. I think Robert Tunyon's going to have a really good season. He might. Randall Cobb. I mean, somebody's going to have to. Randall Cobb. He'll get four games in. Uh, better to forget it. This is the worst show on 101 ESPN. Sir, ma'am, don't need that. Don't that need is. that kind of energy on a beautiful Wednesday afternoon here in sunny St. Louis. I don't need that. So I'm not even going to answer that. I think that's a trick question. Yeah, that's one of those. That, however, I answer that doesn't end well 65780 is the air cover the service next line for bet it or forget it guys bet it or forget it tyler o'neill oh you know what i'm gonna switch this better you finish i'm I'm, I'm going to amend this i like this question better (laughs) better to forget it jordan kairu re-signs with the blues prior to the 2022 season extends Uh, contract i'm gonna forget this one i i I just don't see Jordan Cairo as the guy that's going to be like, yeah, let's sign the eight-year contract right now for $7.5 million. I see Jordan Cairo as kind of a Jack Flaherty that's going to bet on himself because he was a guy that 
didn't get called up right away, had to spend a lot of years in the minors, and then got the shot and was playing on the fourth line, and then finally got the shot, proved he was an all-star and still wasn't good enough. Like, I think Jordan Cairo is going to be the guy that says, no, I'm going to keep going up to the restricted free agency period, and you're going to pay me what I'm worth. So I'm going to forget this one. I think he plays this season out and then either signs the extension or they go forward after this year. I'm going to forget this one, too. I, I think there's going to be a contract extension that would have already been done, kind of how Robert Thomas has got done early in the offseason. So I, I don't think you see a Jordan Cairo extension this year. Cause, and then also, too, I, I think he's going to be an $8 million a year player, and I don't know if the Blues want to do that for Jordan Cairo. I think they're looking at what Alex was saying, around that seven seven and a half million million range, and I don't think he would take that. So I'm going to forget this. I thought we would have one done by now. I, I still think that O'Reilly gets done before Cairo. I don't think O'Reilly gets done. I'm not sure. I, like, if I had to, if, if we did another better year. to forget it real quick, <laughs> no, that's not happening. Better to forget it. Ryan O'Reilly is here beyond this year. I would probably forget it at this no, point. I'll in time. bet it. I would forget it too. I, I I don't want that to be the case. I hope I'm wrong. But man, what in what in the Blues' recent history suggests that they're going to re-sign Ryan O'Reilly if this oh, is not done by the start of the season? The para- Oh, well, the Patrick. Well, what about Pat? Yeah, there's not a whole lot of things that you could point about to. Who? Oh, no. Well, that's not even yeah. in the same conversation, I man. Know, but it was still sad I, I think they're grooming Robert Thomas to be the next captain of the St. Louis Blues, and I think that probably happens starting next year. I'd like to manage against you. I I, I want Ryan O'Reilly to be here. I, I don't believe you. Try to get it done. I can't control this. I would love for Ryan O'Reilly to be here you. long term. I wanted David Perron to be here long term, but we got Nick Letty. In 15 <laughs> minutes, we're diving into oh. the junk drawer, but coming up next, we can go ahead and put to rest this Arenado opt-out conversation, right? Come on, Xavier Scruggs. Really? We got to bring this back up again? That's next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Jim Hickey, the Nationals pitching coach, is going to join us coming up at 1 o'clock. He was actually the pitching coach for Jose Quintana when Quintana was in Chicago. So curious to get his thoughts on what he saw last night, what he's seen from Quintana since he was traded to the Cardinals. I would also love to know from an opposing pitching coach's perspective what it's like right now when you see a left-handed pitcher going up against Albert Pujols. What's that decision like fighting internally of do we walk him here or do we just let this thing ride? We'll get into that with Jim Hickey coming up at 1 o'clock. But I thought we were going to put this all to rest. I thought it was over. And frankly, I still believe that to be the case. For whatever reason, though, it seems to continue coming up. Xavier Scruggs was on MLB Network earlier today. And he got into the conversation that we've had a million different times, Alex, about, <sighs> oh, boy, are we going to have to worry about Nolan Arenado opting out at the end of the year? Nolan Arenado should opt out of his contract with the Cardinals. OK, I understand Redbirds fans are going to be mad at me for this one. But remember, yep. I'm thinking from a player perspective. And when you're a player as great as Nolan Arenado is, you're also a business. And the right business decision for him is to opt out of his contract. The Cardinals third baseman can opt out of the final five years and $144 million contract. Obviously, he seems extremely comfortable in St. Louis, and I'm sure he wants to return. But he'd be leaving a lot of money on the table to do so. So let's discuss this. What are we doing here? Let's start out by going through what Nolan Arenado has remaining on his contract. 
Nolan Arenado, after this season, has five years left at $145 million in total. That's an average annual value of $29 million per year. Going into next year, he will be entering his age 32 season. So if he opted out of this current deal, he would be hoping to do one of two things. Either, I would assume, go back to L.A., his his hometown, and play for the Dodgers, and he's just willing to take whatever they're willing to give them, and the money is not going to be of the biggest concern. He just happens to want to play for the Dodgers. I don't believe that to be the case, but let's at least have that as one possibility. Option two, he's trying to maximize his earning potential, and he believes he could get more than the five years and $145 million that are remaining on his deal. So here's what teams are going to do. They're going to look at what the comparisons are for Nolan Arenado. And guys, there's only one if he's going to exceed this current value in terms of what his contract is. Must be a really good player. It's Anthony Rendon. Rendon signed his seven-year, $245 million contract with the LA Angels when he was 30 years old. So it was a little earlier in his career, but he was a 30-plus-year-old player. So that's the comp for Nolan Arenado. If Nolan thinks he can get that and he's just willing to say, forget everything else, I want the money, then God bless him, more power to you. I do not believe the Angels are giving out that deal. After what we have seen from Anthony Rendon right across the city from them, I don't think they're going to give him that kind of money. I honestly don't know where he's getting that kind of money from. Not from a contender. And he cares about winning. It really matters to Nolan Arenado. That's why he left Colorado. He was comfortable there in terms of his personal life. He wanted to win. And now he's doing a lot of that here. I say all of that to say this. Guys, Nolan Arenado's not opting out. He's not. The money makes sense here. It's actually a very good financial deal for him. This is still a very good contract on paper for Nolan Arenado. He's making just about as much here as he could literally anywhere else. Almost $30 million per year. He's making well above what the vast majority of the league is making at that kind of uh, AAV. And he's winning. He's comfortable. He's winning. He's making good money. Uh, Let's just be honest here for a second. This dude is not opting out here in St. Louis. It's not happening. Let's look at the landscape here for a minute. So, like, hypothetically, he does opt out. You're making, what, maybe $10 million more than what you're making now? In, like, the best case scenario? Five per year, yeah. Okay. But it's not going to be on a team that's got the same contention that the Cardinals are going to have. Because, look, you, you are up there with some of the best in the National League in baseball this season. And the trajectory is just going north because you've got more players coming to the Cardinals, the Jordan Walkers, players specifically like that. The president of baseball operations did exactly what you asked him to do in terms of going out and acquiring something to help this team go on a run. Last season, when you pleaded for Albert Pujols, they went and signed Albert Pujols. They've done everything to acquiesce to Nolan Arenado's desire with this team. He's with Paul Goldschmidt. He's probably going to be in the MVP conversation. He's probably going to win a gold glove. And I know people are hearing this and saying, yeah, that's why he's going to opt out. No, because all of these things I don't think are possible if he's playing on another team, making more money, but not contending the way that the Cardinals are contending. He's winning the gold glove. Like, that's going to happen no matter where he's playing. But the rest of it, uh, agreed. Like, that, this is this is a really good spot for Nolan Arenado. It is, and he has a good life here. He is in a winning culture. I, I really do believe— He wanted I mean, to be in St. Louis. The, the, the reports were he had two teams on his list. 
He either wanted to play here or he wanted to play for the Dodgers. And I've listened to a few different things now since the trade from Colorado reporters who say the first team that he actually did want to go to was the Dodgers. And that's okay. Like, we don't have to be upset about that as Cardinals fans. He's from L.A. That's from sense. L.A. Yeah, that's his hometown team. And when that didn't appear to be much of a likelihood, he decided, you know what? The second best thing that I could do is go play for the Cardinals. And he's now here. And we're all thrilled that he is because the Cardinals get an MVP caliber performer for the prime of his career, for the rest of his career. I I just am surprised, honestly, that this continues coming back up. We've got a few texts that say he could definitely go out there and get $35 million for five years easily. Okay, so he's leaving $5 million per year on the table. That's $25 million over the life of the contract. Do we really think that he's going to opt out of his deal and go somewhere else for $25 million when he's going to make like $500 million over the course of his career? I certainly don't, I, I personally, especially if there is a risk of he opts out of this deal, and I do believe that this is absolutely in play, there's not that deal out there for him. And I, I understand that Nolan Arnauto is amazing, but guys, he's going to be 32, and teams have wisened up about this stuff. They do not give out those massive long-term deals any longer to guys above the age of 30, much less guys that are entering their age 32 season. This is not me saying that it's a bad deal for the Cardinals, what he has left on his deal. The opposite. I think it's a great deal for what the Cardinals need and what he's going to provide for them. But for another team, if they entered a new contract with him and it was five plus years, and it was 35 plus per, I, I, I don't think there's anybody that's going to give that to him. I, I really don't. Unless it's one of those teams that's trying to rebuild, like the Cubs. Maybe they would do this with him being the face of their franchise. But he's not going there. But why is he going to go to Chicago? It just doesn't make there's sense only, for either perspective. There's only one other team that he would opt out for to go to, and it would be the Dodgers. And I don't know if he's getting the same situation here that he would be with the Dodgers. Oh, I think he's I, in a really great spot. If he's well, in I LA. think he's in a great spot. But I don't think they're giving him this money. They're not giving. Like, him I don't this know much money operate either. this way. No, they're not going. They to. typically don't. No, I, I agree. I don't they, think they. They would. sign young players. That's why they're. I don't think they're going to bring back Trey Turner. Trey Turner. Turner is like sneaky old. He's like twenty nine years old. They're not going to bring him back on an eight year contract because he's about to be age thirty season. Yeah, I, I don't think the Dodgers would do it, but I could like see the pieces where they would because it, you're not bringing back Turner. You let Justin Turner sure. walk. So like I could see where that would make sense, but. To your guys' point, I mean, I, that would be the only place where that deal would make sense, and I don't know if the Dodgers are willing to hand out that kind of money. There's nobody else that he would probably truly want to go to and join because it's the teams that have those spots that are going to be open are those teams that are starting to exit the rebuilds. And how many times have we seen those teams where they've looked like they're going to take off and then they just flop and they kind of start back at going to even ground? And if you're Nolan Arenado, you can look here and you can say, okay, the next two years I've got Paul Goldschmidt that's going to be with me and who's going to win an MVP this year. And then there's also the young talent coming up through here in St. Louis. And the Cardinals, I mean, they won't ever say it publicly, and, and maybe they just truly don't believe this, but I think they're you're starting the winning window next year. And if you're Nolan Arenado, you've got five years of being in the winning window, and in three of those five years, you're still definitely a part of it with potentially out Paul Goldschmidt, but you could be seeing a young superstar, Jordan Walker, take his spot. So I, I can't see him opting out. This is the part I overlooked from the 618. Boys, 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 Nolan's definitely going to opt out, and then he resigns with the Cardinals to tell them, I'm going to take less money so you can go get Shohei Otani. I wouldn't Boom. enjoy that. 65780, by the way, from the 314. California taxes would also eat in any of that incremental contract for Nolan Arenado to the Dodgers as well. They would have to pay him well over $35 million for it to match, much less exceed what the Cardinals are currently paying him. That's a, that's a really good point uh, from the text line. If this ends up being about money, I do not believe that there is a better offer for him out there for a contender 
that would give him more money than what he is currently slated to make over the next five years here in St. Louis. If it is purely about going home, yeah. there's nothing the Cardinals can do you about that. You can't compete with that. And, and that's just the reality of where they're at in their contract. Given what we have heard from Nolan this year, given what people that cover the team that know Nolan even better than we do have said about it, I would be absolutely shocked, absolutely shocked if he decided to opt out for that reason. I think he's comfortable here. He just had his first uh, first child here in St. Louis. He loves the way that this team is playing right now. He's never won a division before, and that's something he's really looked forward to. If this team goes on a run in the playoffs, there is no chance that this dude's opting out of his deal. So I, I would be super surprised if this ended up happening, and I understand that I'm wrong about everything. I... I'm very confident I'm right about this. Ah, crap. No. That, that will. Come on, man. You want to put a percentage on it to make it worse? 100%. For oh, my God. He, he's not opting oh. out of his deal. He, Nolan Arenado will be your starting third baseman next year and for the next five years here oh, in St. Louis. Oh, my God. There's no chance that he's going anywhere else. Coming up in Stop 15 it. minutes, we're talking to Jim Hickey, the Nationals pitching coach. Very excited to be able to talk to him about what he's seen from his former pitcher, Jose Quintana. Also, what is it like to be in the opposing dugout? As Albert Pools comes to the plate against one of your left-handed pitchers. We'll talk to Jim Hickey about that coming up at 1 o'clock. The Junk Drawer is coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve a checking account today. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer. Alex, what do you have for us today? So, boys, we have officially hit the, um, well, the almost terrible two stages with my daughter. Now, she's not two yet. She's only one and a half. But I had the the first are you blanking kidding me moment the other day. So It's only one, huh? So yeah. So, Sunday, we went out. Uh, we, we had church, and then we went to the grocery store, and then we were kind of doing some errands. We got home, and we walked in the house, and we're like, blank, it smells like there's a gas leak in our house. And we didn't know what the hell it was. So we called up the gas company. They came out. They walked around. They're like, oh, we don't smell gas, but we do smell something. Didn't know what it was. Honestly, it smelled like burning plastic. So we're looking around the house. Can't find anything. The guy's like, well, it might be in your sump pump. If the water's just standing there, it might be this. It's something. But they don't know what it is. It's not gas. So we're like, all right, cool. Went back in, started searching the house. Apparently, my one-and-a-half-year-old now takes diapers Old, used, filled diapers. Sure, as as one would. And hides them in rooms. Yeah. So I'm searching. You, so you called a guy to check on a gas leak. And I he didn't know what of, it was. Because, because there of was your daughter's diaper. dirty diapers. And, and we found That's it. amazing. And we found it. Uh, in please the, tell me you called them back and said, hey, really sorry. No, so he we was there. The problem. We well, found it. Because no. he told me, he's like, look, he's like, sometimes when there's when there's fecal matter that sits for a long period of time, it starts to smell. Yeah, I was thinking you're, you know what? <laughs> he's like, he said, sometimes it starts to smell kind of like a gas leak. They make really odd senses. And this diaper. Somebody, somebody on the text line said it's probably your garbage disposal, man. You got to hit that reset, hit that reset button. button. Yeah, well, <laughs> when you said that story yesterday, I'm like, oh yeah, that 
kind of been there before where you found something. So what happened was, like, what we'll do is, you know, we change the diaper and we put it, we wrap it up and we set it on the table to put in the trash can. And I think what happened was I probably picked up my daughter and walked away and left the diaper there thinking I'd get it later. And so my one and a half year old Adelaide, she walked in the room and I think she took the diaper and she hid it underneath the baby's crib. And so this diaper had to have been sitting there for at least three oh or four my days. Oh, God. Can you imagine? Was it just one? It was just one. It was, it was a full one. <laughs> it was just one. It was a full one. And it was like, it was in the bedroom and the door was closed. So it just permeated. Oh, oh. it was awful. So now I've officially hit the point where it's like, okay. Daughter's at the stage now where uh, we're starting to find things, hide things around the house. I would think, though, that you would remember setting something down and be like, oh, I guess, uh, like, I can't imagine doing well, setting I, down, especially a dirty diaper like that, well, a full I, one. Well, I think what happened was, you know, if, if with the two kids, the one screaming in the other room and the other one screaming there, so I probably put the diaper on the table and said, now I'll come back to that when I come back in the room. And I never came back in the room before my one-year-old found it and then hit it. So note to self, make sure that you throw away every diaper before your daughter gets old of it. Yeah, because otherwise uh, that mustard poop is just going to permeate in the corner of a bedroom. Oh, my God. It was it I was love the awful. fact that you called a guy. Well, I mean, we like, honestly, it smelled like a gas leak. But then he showed us what, like, gas leaks smell like. Like, he opened up our gas uh, tank in our backyard, and he's like, does it smell like this? And I said, no, because, like, you could tell what that smelled like. But it smelled like burning plastic, which I just assumed... You know, she grabbed the oven turn and flipped it or something like that's that. What I, that's what I thought you were going to say. That's what I thought it was. But nope, dirty diaper. When I lost my smell from COVID, that's one of the things that I did. I, I accidentally turned the gas stove on, but not all the way actually on. So there was gas that was leaking throughout our house. My wife came home. She's like, what is going on? Like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I can't smell anything. But oh, that was the problem. I'm in trouble if I do that because I still can't smell. Really? You still don't have it? No. It's not fun, man. It's not fun. But you would have been fine in Alex's yeah, house. You would have been, been, yeah. been having a grand old time. It would have been great. What do you mean something smells? I can't smell anything. The worst part of here. it is I got two dogs that don't, you know, find I that would, smell I, somewhere say, in my house. Now that you mentioned that, I would think that one of those two would like... You'd be like, why you digging like under- Yeah, why are you digging I, underneath the baby's crib? That's those, weird. Those dogs were around before the babies were there, so they're probably like, I'm blank and I don't <laughs> want to try anymore. Hey, get signed up to play in this year's Fast Lane Pick'em Challenge at 101ESPN.com. You've got about 24 hours to do so. You can make your football picks each and every week. See if you can defeat the Fast Lane or the dudes from the Rizzuto Show over at 1057 The Point. The weekly top score will receive a $50 gift card to Schnooks and a Buzz Bud Light prize pack for a football swag. The Fast Lane and the Riz Show throw down all football season long with the Pick'em Challenge. Get signed up to play now at 101ESPN.com, courtesy of Bud Light and Schnucks Rewards. Coming up in 15 minutes, which college football team changed your opinion on them the most based on what you saw in week number one? However, coming up next, Jim Hickey, the Nationals pitching coach, he previously coached Jose Quintana when both of them were in Chicago together. Want to get his thoughts on what he saw from Quintana yesterday. Also, what is it like to be in that other dugout as Albert Poole steps to the plate against a left-handed pitcher? Talk to Jim Hickey about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm 
Brandon Kiley. Happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by the Nationals pitching coach, Jim Hickey, joining us here on the show today as he's in town for the Cardinals versus the Nationals series. First of all, Jim, we appreciate you taking some time out of your busy day to be able to join us today. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing good, and it's not a problem. Glad I can help you guys out. Absolutely. So let's start out with this. Jim, you previously were with the Chicago Cubs, so you've made this trip to St. Louis a number of times. Is is there anything in particular whenever you're in town here in St. Louis that you like to do? That's a good question. You know, we used to stay right downtown, downtown, right near the ballpark in that west end there. So just simply milling around after the ball game in that area was always entertaining. But uh, these last couple of years, we're out here in Clayton, so we're a little bit further removed. So there's a not, not a whole lot going on out here. And it seems like they're closing up earlier and earlier out here, too. So, uh, you know, not, nothing real special, but I do like milling around ballpark after the game is over. Uh, Jim, I got to ask you, since we're talking about your time with the Chicago Cubs, the connection to Jose Quintana, he pitched last night. He was with you uh, when you were with the Chicago Cubs. Is this to be expected with Jose Quintana? Because this is the best he has pitched since he was with the White Sox. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I One of my favorites, by the way, just a great human being and also a really good pitcher. Um, you know, I, I thought in Chicago uh, we complicated things a little bit too much, maybe in terms of game planning and just asking him to do too much. Uh, he's extremely solid but not spectacular type of a pitcher as long as he attacks the strike zone. Um, you know, he throws that front door, that front hip two seamer. He's got a good changeup. He's got a good curveball. He's always in the strike zone for the most part. So uh, this is no surprise. And I think you can expect uh, the same type of performance going forward. Jim, as a pitching coach, I'm really curious. It, I, I don't know if you've had a similar situation to what the Cardinals had, but they acquired both Quintana and Jordan Montgomery at the trade deadline. And then they switched up a little bit on what their pitching arsenal looks like, at least in terms of the percentage of what they're using their pitches. When you get a new guy in at the deadline, can you take us through some of that process of how you evaluate what that pitcher had been doing and then how you try to maximize what you're going to get out of them? Well, you have to remember that I was with the Tampa Bay Rays for 11 years, so we never acquired anybody at the deadline. (laughs) (laughs) We were always trading them away, but uh, no, you know, a good example is we did trade away David Price and we got Drew Smiley from the Detroit Tigers. And it was very apparent to us that he had success up in the strike zone. You know, that's a very in vogue thing right now. Uh, But back then it really wasn't. So we pointed that out to his attention and he wasn't doing that. He wasn't pitching up intentionally. It was just these pitches that were in the upper third of the strike zone. Uh, there was very minimal damage on, you know, so that we, we, we pointed that out. We made that a part of his attack. Uh, you know, for instance, if a guy has a cutter, but he just doesn't use it enough, but it's a very, very productive pitch, uh, you, you, know, you might go through that. But there's no real, uh, I don't think in today's game, there's not much, you know, that's a, a secret or that you're going to discover that somebody else is not already aware of because, you know, we're all working off of the same page for the most part. So, to get a midseason acquisition and then to tweak him and then for him to all of a sudden have a lot of uh, more success would probably be pretty unusual. Jim, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit of a follow-up there. You mentioned the, the four-seamers up in the zone, and that's kind of in vogue now. You've been a pitching coach in Major League Baseball now for, for more than 15 years. What are some of the other biggest changes that you've seen in the game, at least in terms of the starting pitching, um, that, from your perspective, over the last 15 years? What are the biggest ones that stand out to you? 
Well, obviously the lack of length for the starting yeah. pitchers, and a lot, of, a lot of that is by design, but also a lot of that is just because we're bringing guys up from the minor leagues now where the industry is infatuated with the swing and a miss, with the, you know, the high velocity, with the nasty breaking balls. Uh, you know, I think as a whole we're failing to teach these guys how to quote-unquote pitch uh, versus promoting them because they're simply missing bats. You know, now if, if you're missing bats in October, that's probably a pretty good thing. But, you know, if you're training guys in A ball and double A to simply miss bats and, and you know, not how to, to, to actually pitch, uh, I think that's a detriment to our industry as a whole. Um, you know, that being said, I think one of the other changes also is the the velocity. We just have more velocity than we've had in the past. Um, a lot more of the swing and miss breaking ball type of pitchers. You know, you see up in the strike zone, breaking ball down in the strike zone. You know, you think about guys, um, uh, you know, a guy like Garrett Cole, for instance, it's, that's, it's exactly, you know, what he does. It's, it's high riding four seamers up and breaking balls down. And obviously you have a lot of success doing that as well. Um, and it is a copycat industry. So I think that's that's one of the biggest changes, and it's not necessarily a change for the better either. Jim, we have the conversation all the time here in St. Louis of the impact that Yadier Molina has with pitchers. And I, I want a pitching coach's thoughts on this from an opposing team because Jose Quintana, you pitched for the Pirates earlier this season. He was a good pitcher, but he's not doing what he's doing right now for the Cardinals. Jordan Montgomery, good for the Yankees, but he's pitching like an ace for the Cardinals. And I'm just curious, is there a coincidence from a pitching coach's mindset of the impact that Yadi has and the changes that those two pitchers have had from one team to another? Uh, no, I don't think that's a coincidence at all. I think it has a lot to do with the veteran catcher and the uh, obviously the experience, but the confidence, uh, knowing knowing the division, knowing the league also is priceless, especially for a guy like Jordan Montgomery, who's pretty much unfamiliar with the National League and especially the Central. Um, so, no, I don't think that's coincidental at all. I think that a veteran catcher uh, is extremely, extremely helpful. Um, you know, our particular club, Obviously, we've made wholesale changes over the last couple of uh, trading deadlines, uh, but we're going through that right now with our young catchers, and they're doing a great job. But it's a it's a constant, uh, you know, it's a constant, constant battle, uh, constant education type of a thing, and, and it's fun. Um, but to plug in a guy like Yachty would be a lot of fun too. <laughs> yeah, it tends to work out pretty well. Uh, we're talking to Jim Hickey, the Nationals pitching coach here on 101 ESPN. Huge thanks to him for for giving us a little bit of his time and what is obviously a busy schedule. Uh, Jim, I wanted to ask you about the role of a pitching coach because last year, Mike Maddox came under a lot of scrutiny here in St. Louis for stuff that really wasn't his fault. The Cardinals had a lot of pitchers that weren't throwing his, uh, weren't throwing strikes. And so they were walking the world. And of course that goes back to, Oh, it must be the pitching coach's fault this year. They're not doing that. Everybody is very happy with the job that the pitching coach has done because the pitchers are performing at a high level. How, what would you say? What would you say is the fair way to um, critique a pitching coach's job from the outside perspective, or is there a fair way to do that? Well, it's a really good question. I think there's a fair way to critique a pitching coach's uh, performance. I think uh, his, the way that he does his job is particularly if you have young guys, do the young guys progress? Do the young guys get better? Um, when you have the veteran guys, uh, you, you go ahead and see if they maintain what, what they've done over the past, unless they're, you know, really, really at the end of their career. 
so it's really tough. But the you know the whole industry has changed. You know, as a whole, has changed. And as you know, everything is just this instant gratification. And you know, one year ago he was doing a bad job. Now all of a sudden you guys are eight games up, and he's doing a really really good yeah. job. Uh, you know, so uh, it's, it's not necessarily fair. Um, you know, nobody ever said it was fair, and we're all hired to be fired. So it's no surprise that when things are going good, you know, people are back slapping in. When things are not going so well, they're pointing fingers. I've got two more questions for you as we're talking to Jim Hickey here on 101 ESPN. The first one is about Adam Wainwright, who we just marvel watching, Jim. And I, I'm curious, as as a pitching coach, you'll be able to see him tomorrow against the Nationals. But, I mean, you've been seeing this guy for 15 years now. <laughs> he's 40 years old. He's looking as good as he has at any point in his career. He's got a three, two ERA on the season. When you watch something like this and him pitching the way that he does, what is it like for you as a pitching coach? It makes me smile, <laughs> you know, because he's not the, the, the guy that we described earlier. He's not the guy that's just out there, you know, rocking and rolling and ripping and throwing the ball as hard as he possibly can. He is truly a pitcher uh, and it's a pleasure to watch. And when you look at guys like that, uh, you know, somebody like Max Scherzer, um, you know, he's similar age, not quite as old, but performing at a, a, a super high level. Uh, year in, year out, and the way that they're doing it is pitching. Obviously, they both have very good stuff, and they're both capable of swing and miss, but they both pitch. Uh, They're the epitome of pitching, uh, and it's a pleasure to watch. And I would say I'm looking forward to tomorrow, but I'm really not. (laughs) (laughs) Jim, you've seen a lot of the Mets. You've seen a lot of the Braves, obviously, playing in the NL East. Going into postseason play, I I just am curious, just your overall view on the Starting rotation, if it comes to the playoffs, who do you think, Scott, how would you view the danger when it comes to rotation setup among the teams that are eligible for the playoffs in the National League? Well, that's a good question, and it might sound like kind of a funny answer, but I pay a lot less attention to the rotations than I do to the lineups because obviously my job is to prepare for the lineups. Um, I will say this about the lineups, you know, you you don't think of the Cardinals or most people don't think of the Cardinals if you live outside of St. Louis in the same class as the Mets or the Braves or the Los Angeles Dodgers. But I can assure you uh, that they are in the same class as those guys uh, in terms of the lineup and the lineup construction. And I was just talking with Mike Maddox yesterday and I said, man, the St. Louis Cardinals are pretty darn good. And, you know, you go down the list and you look at the lineup, you know, just yesterday, for instance, you know, it's, 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 it's Newt Barr and it's Donovan um, and a Gorman type of a guy and even an Edmund. And you don't really think much of those guys until all of a sudden you look at he's got a 780 OPS and he's got a 790 OPS and they got five left handers. And oh, by the way, on the bench is uh, Albert Poolholz and uh, Yadier Molina and they can mix and match and, and they can really do some damage. It's a tough, tough lineup. You know, and by the way, I didn't even say Goldschmidt and Arenado. Um, you know, it's so no it, biggie, it, it's no tough, biggie, you know? Jim. They're they're yeah. fine. Those are easy yeah. to, to navigate. Two MVPs, not a big deal. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it it's 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 a lineup that can stack up with uh, any of those other four clubs that I said right there. And I think just in terms of pitching. Um, you know, the Dodgers have had their uh, woes, but they always seem to find a way. Uh, the Mets have the two studs uh, at the top with uh, Scherzer and DeGrom, but, uh, you know, health is an issue. He left, uh, Scherzer left the start uh, against us after five innings. And, you know, DeGrom is always a little bit iffy. So 
Uh, I like the uh, solidity, if that's a word, of the Cardinals' rotation, and I really like the back end of their bullpen. As you saw last night, these guys out there throwing 100 and 102. It's, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> Jim, final question that I've got for you. You mentioned him in that answer, but I, I would love to get the perspective of a pitching coach in the opposing dugout when you've got a lefty on the mound and there's nothing you can do because there's the three batter minimum and Albert Pujols is about to enter the game against that left-handed pitcher as a pinch hitter. What is that experience like this year as he has a 1200 OPS on the season against lefties? Yeah, it's crazy. You know, I did my homework. We played these guys about a month ago and Albert, you know, okay, Albert's getting a little bit, not getting a little bit older. He's toward the end, blah, blah, blah. Well, he hit nine home runs in August and he hit them all against left-handed pitchers. And then, of course, you've got Goldsmith and Arenado behind him and poor Jake McGee last night. You know, this is exactly, and we had the conversation in the bullpen because I had Jake way back with the Tampa Bay Rays. And we were sitting there, and he said, man, it seems like I face this guy every time. I guarantee if I come into the game, he's coming into the pinch hit. And sure enough, <laughs> there he was. And uh, Albert obviously popped it up, but he just missed it. Uh, hitting whatever it would have been, five, seven, six, ninety-six. I don't know, 1,096. <laughs> uh, I've seen enough of them, though, believe me. Uh, out, out of curiosity, Jim, um, it, this wasn't the case last night, but like, if, it, if it's a close game and you've got Albert coming into that same exact spot, and let's assume that it's not Goldie and Haranato behind him in this scenario because that changes things, of course. But what is the conversation that goes into – Hey, do we consider intentionally walking him here? Do do we play it straight? What what do we do here? Because that was a scenario against the Cubs that arised over the weekend. And then I don't know if you saw it, but Albert hit yeah. the game winning home run in that spot. Is there something in the back of your mind, knowing what this means for the game with him chasing 700 of saying, hey, we, we, we got to pitch to him here? No, I don't think I, I don't think I would take that into consideration, but I certainly wouldn't have a left-hander out there either if the game was on the line. So, you know, sometimes you can't avoid those situations, but uh, um, no, I don't. I wouldn't take that into consideration. But if it was a zero-zero in the seventh inning last night, you would not have seen Jake McGee come into the game. I can assure you of that. <laughs> Touche. Hey, Jim, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. We really appreciate it. We wish you all the best of luck over the next couple of days, and hopefully, you come just enough short against the Cardinals. <laughs> I, I understand your sentiments. I appreciate it. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. It. Jim Hickey joining us here on 101 ESPN. He's the Nationals pitching coach. We've been able to catch up with him a couple of times now uh, over the last couple of years. Always enjoy getting his perspective on things. Uh, I, I find it really interesting, man, especially what he said to your question about uh, you asked about the pitching, but then he kind of went towards the lineups. Which makes sense. A pitching coach is going to look 100%. at how you approach a lineup rather than your pitchers. That's what they're studying, right? Whereas if you ask Jeff Albert about opposing hitters, well, he, he's going to tell you about the pit, the pitching side of things because that's what he's studying he basically said what we've been talking about hey you look at this lineup and you compare it to the Dodgers or the Mets or the Braves I know it seems weird because we did not feel this way coming into the season but they can stack up against any of those teams right now especially when you're looking at the depth that they've now developed with some of those left-handed bats that can go out there against right-handed pitchers there's no chance to breathe at least for at least against left-handed pitchers, there's no chance for those guys to breathe. And I think you're starting to get to that point with the righties as well. It comes back to the conversation we had earlier of Nolan Gorman getting more reps. But if you could get him going, where's your opportunity to breathe against this Cardinals lineup? I would say the eight hole with Yachty. But 
okay, you you can find one spot to breathe against the Dodgers. You can find one spot to breathe against the Braves, against the Mets. Heck, I think I could find a couple spots to breathe against the Bre- the, the Mets. I know people hear it and they say, no, nah, they're not like the Dodgers or the Mets or the Braves. That's fine. But for what they've done in the last month and a half, you can't argue the numbers. The, the, the hitting has been spectacular. And we talked about Jose Quintana doing something that hasn't been done for the Cardinals since 1912. Jordan Montgomery looks like an ace. Adam Wainwright looks like an ace. Michaelis can look like an ace. There's not a lot of spots to breathe right now. So I've said that you can kind of judge a lineup based on who your six-hole hitter is. I think that's a really good spot to hone in on because everybody can have a good top four. But in the second half of your order, how does that look? How do the bottom four to five guys in your lineup look? And for the Cardinals, for example, last night, Tyler O'Neill, who's been, I mean, in some ways on fire over the last month or so, was batting sixth in your lineup. Other guys that have hit in that spot recently are Corey Dickerson was there a couple of days ago. Dylan Carlson against a lefty was there a few days ago. Then it was Tyler O'Neill again. Uh, it was Albert Pujols uh, at one point in time. Like You now have the depth to where even that bottom four is tough for opposing pitchers. And if you do go to the bullpen and you had a righty on the mound to start the game and now you're going to a lefty, it's going to be a line switch and we're getting our best guys in there. You saw that again last night for the Cardinals. So I I like the way that the lineup has developed. I also like the different types of hitters that they have in their lineup. They've got Nolan Gorman, who's a strikeout. uh, It's basically all or nothing with him. And then you've got Brendan Donovan, who I understand he hit the home run last night, but in general, he's not a guy that's swinging for the fences. You've got a Lars Newbar who has a great eye at the plate. You've got the complete hitters in the middle of your order. Like, this is what the Dodgers lineup typically looks like on a year-to-year basis. They've got guys that do different things and win in different ways. So it's all coming together, and I will give credit where it is due. Jeff Albert deserves some of that credit for being able to Can't keep the continuity and get these guys going. Coming up next, which college football team changed your opinion of them the most based on what you saw from them in week number one and One team went from the most likable coach in college football to the least likable coach in college football seemingly overnight. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. If you've missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app as well. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Hey, uh, Scott Air Force Base, if you're a service member, your family, Anyone else currently on base, you can join the fast lane this Friday for a special military appreciation live broadcast from two to six o'clock. It's a special fast lane military appreciation live broadcast on base at the exchange of Scott Air Force Base. It's all brought to you by Budweiser Air Comfort Service Heating and Cooling and Hero Loan. Fast lane is going to be out at Scott Air Force Base coming up on Friday in about 10 minutes or so. We'll give you a chance to win a four pack of tickets to next week's Budweiser bash for Cardinals versus Brewers. But. Alex, I wanted to take a look at what we saw last weekend in college football because we are officially, for every team at this point, one week into the college football season. Was there anybody that stood out to you that you said to yourself after the weekend, you know what, I changed my opinion, good or bad, 
on that team compared to what I expected them to be based on what I saw this weekend? Um, I, I think I changed my opinion on the poor side for Clemson because I thought Clemson was going to at least put themselves back in the conversation of being a top four team. That's changed my opinion after watching that. I don't even think they're a top five team. But on the positive, I said this yesterday, I loved Notre Dame's outing. I think Notre Dame can be a playoff contending team because of their schedule setup. Their toughest game was against Ohio State, and they played that all the way up until the fourth quarter. Those were the two teams that I changed my opinion on, one on the positive, one on the negative. I would say the one for me that was on the positive was Florida. I mean, coming into that game against Utah, I I really thought Utah was going to be able to beat them and and take advantage of them and beat them pretty easily, and I was really impressed at the way that they played because that felt like a game where Florida is – I don't want to say they're back because they're not back to where I think they can like win the SEC by any means, but it feels like a step in the right direction, especially after coming off the year in which they fired Dan Mullen. And then I think the team that took the step in the wrong direction for me, it, it's it's Clemson the Illinois as well. Fighting well no. Yeah, they took a big step in the wrong direction. Yeah, they, I, ne- I now know. line, too. I now, yeah. Oh. Get I it because they didn't block the guy? I now know that they won't <laughs> be competing for the college football playoff. But no, the one for me was Clemson. And honestly, I wasn't that high on Clemson going into uh, that game against Georgia Tech, but I'm definitely a lot lower on him now because they still stuck with DJ Uyungle, and I, I don't think he's that great a quarterback. I didn't think he deserved to be the starter in Clemson right off the bat, but I understood why they did it. He has experience, and after seeing the kid that came in after him, uh, Kluba Kick, I think is what his name is. I think that's right. I'll have to double-check that. Know, that felt backup. wrong. He didn't kick. The backup. He uh, he played a lot better than Uyungle in, in his one single drive, in my opinion. So Clemson was the one that really let me down. I I, I don't think they're going to be in the college football playoff. I think they lose at some point in the ACC, whether it be to Wake Forest or potentially NC State, although I'm not sold on them. Or honestly, even North Carolina has got still another good offense, even though they can't stop anything. Yeah, I, I think that all the teams that you guys mentioned, were we all had the same takeaways on this. I thought it was Clemson on the downside because of their quarterback play if they make the switch though i think they can correct that because that backup looked really good now limited sample that's his name he he looked awesome you were close notre dame's defense was super impressive and i don't think that that was sometimes in week one it can lie to you because the team that they went up against this is my concern about florida for example i don't know how good utah actually is I thought they were going to be good coming into the season but what if they're just not as good as we think and florida is slightly better than them like that's something that could come out of week number one, and then six weeks from now we're saying, "Oh, Florida's four and three, and Utah is also four and three, and so we just saw two above-average teams go at it, and it made for a really entertaining game as a result. That's one of my concerns about taking too much away from that. I don't feel that way about Notre Dame. I know Ohio State's going to be good offensively, mm-hmm. and their defense made it hard for C.J. Stroud to be able to move the ball consistently. So. I'm a believer in Notre Dame defensively. Don't know about the offense, but defensively, they're legit. We did get a text, and I thought this was interesting, from the 618. BK, you can go ahead and put it on the board. Anthony Richardson is going to be the Heisman this year after what I saw from him against Utah. He's going to have some tough competition. He is. I I went over to the FanDuel Sportsbook to see what the odds are right now. So the two favorites are who you'd expect. It's Bryce Young at Alabama, their quarterback, and C.J. Stroud, the quarterback for Ohio State. After that, it's Caleb Williams, who looked incredible this USC's weekend at USC. Yeah. yeah, the former Oklahoma quarterback who transferred to USC along with Lincoln Riley. And then at eight, 18 to 1, it is Anthony Richardson. Was there anybody else that you guys saw this weekend that you said to yourself when you were watching, like, oh, okay, that's somebody that you should watch for the Heisman odds? Because for me, Hendon Hooker at Tennessee is that guy. 
Who is the Four running total touchdowns? He that dude is a stud. Who's and a running? He's back? at fifty to one right now in terms of his odds. I'm sorry, BK. No, you're good. Keep cutting. Who's a running back at Ohio State? Rick uh, Richardson? No, not Richardson. Hendrickson? No, that's me. No, not. Me. I'd have to look it up. Henderson, maybe. I, I I heard them talking about it on that broadcast with Henderson. Ohio State. Henderson was his name. I heard him talking. He might be a, a dark horse favorite for that. But the problem is, you're playing with C.J. Stroud, who could also do that. But I'm, I'm with you. I, I think Tennessee's a good one. I just don't think Anthony Richardson's going to be able to compete with Bryce Young. That's the thing. That's that's why I can't well, yeah. say like six touchdowns a game. Like you can't compete with that. I, that's why I can't buy into like probably be the biggest thing. Yeah, but that's why I can't say like was there someone that stood out to me that could have like Heisman that gained momentum for me? Not really. I I don't really start looking at that till like week three or four because at some point like you're getting the performance that we're talking about where it's oh wow well he looked really good at quarterback yeah. for Florida and then it's like well it was a a one off or b okay yeah he's been solid for two or three games but he's not been what he was in that first game that, that's why I'm hesitant to always jump on board with that until like week three. Or four. Someone texted into Tyler Basilek. <laughs> it's Connor. It's not even his name. His name's Connor Basilek. Uh, it's still funny. Stinking text line. <laughs> I will say this another team that impressed me over the week, we didn't even mention them, and it was because BK had me scared to bet on them, and it was Arkansas. I was impressed. I know Cincinnati, like they could be another team that you look back on and go, well, that's, it's that's a down the game year. that I'm worried about. I mentioned Florida versus Utah. This is the actual game because. Cincinnati lost so much from last year, man. That's why. That's why it's another one where it's like, can yeah. we look back on it and say Cincinnati just fell back to what's normal for a non-power five? Like a ten and Possibly. two, nine and three, a very good season, but not excellent. Yeah, I, I think the best non-power five is probably going to be Houston. I, I thought they were impressive. UTSA, I think, is going to get back into the top yeah, twenty-five. They were, they were awesome over the weekend too. But I think Houston will take that best non-power five group uh, this year. Yeah, uh, I, I think Arkansas looked good. Their defense looked very good. I just don't know how much to take of that, whether that was them or if that was Cincinnati. The one team that we did learn something about was LSU. And it ain't good, boys. They, they, I I don't even know what that debacle was between them and Florida State. But LSU was very much not back. And they have the most unlikable coach in college football right now with um, Brian Kelly. I've never liked him at at. Notre Dame, he leaves. Suddenly, Notre Dame becomes a little more yeah, likable for they me. got a good head coach. <laughs> he goes to LSU. LSU no longer likable for me. Brian Kelly yesterday. God, you got, he you got people problems, it. man. Maybe Brian Kelly's got people problems. All the people that I don't like aren't very likable. Now, I'm not either, but <laughs> that's beside the point. I like Kelly as a coach. I like Aaron do, do you like Kelly as an individual? I never talked I to him. I did guy. before last night. Oh, really? Oh, see, I didn't know. I don't oh, know if I've ever had something where I've... Was I he, mean, a, he had the awkward interview last year where he said something on television. Am I, I like, in favor Ooh. of execution? I'm in favor of executing our players. Yeah, that, yeah, the that, old that classic joke. Yeah. yeah, that was awkward. His delivery could use a little bit of work, and I say that as somebody that could also use a little work in the <laughs> delivery. Brian Kelly has a thing where apparently when his players are late to a meeting... They have to pay $10 into a jar, Alex. Kind of like a swear jar that we have around here for you. We have a swear jar here? For you. Yikes, that's got to be really full. Well, yesterday, apparently one of the reporters showed up. Not late. It was press conference started at noon. She showed up at 11.57. Punctuality is important. Yeah, well, here's what it sounded like when that happened. We'll we'll open it up to this late arriving uh, media crowd that uh, must have enjoyed the the weekend. that's usually ten dollars um, that we put in the kitty. Um, for we'll, we'll have a big bash at the end of the year at my place. <laughs> I don't think it has anything to do with winning. I think it has to do with being on time. Oh my god! 
I love her for that response. If you didn't hear it there, I know that the audio is kind of muffled. She said, if you would have won, I would have showed up on time. God, she had that in the arsenal ready to go, too. And then he said back, I don't think it had anything to do with us winning. I think it had to do with you being on time. What a jerk, man. What where, an absolute jerk. I got a question. Where does where did his uh, Louisiana accent go? Oh, he just randomly, that comes and goes. When he's on okay. national television, that is omnipresent at all times. I, I'm sure when he's recruiting, too, for LSU, oh, that yeah. Louisiana accent shows back up, but not in his press conferences. Can you imagine going from that to Ed Orgeron? Yes. Who yesterday was <laughs> at a public event and was asked about how his time finished at LSU. I can't tell you this story as well as he can tell it. So, Coach Joe, go ahead and take this one away. Coaches got a shelf. Some coaches got 50 years. Some coaches got 12. Mine was six. Good. I got to tell you, we had a meeting. Hey, Coach, things are not going well. No, <laughs> Rachel, I was going to say that, brother. <laughs> <laughs> and they were good and, and Scott Woodward is a friend of mine today Really, really, a lot of respect for the way they handled me Say, Coach, you got $17.1 million on your contract We're going to give it to you <laughs> I said, what time do you want me to leave? And what door you want me out of? <laughs> God, I love that man I love Coach O so much. I said, what do you want to go out of? With the VK Ferrario Rewind coming up in 15 minutes, I think we have a comp for what a potential Jordan Cairo contract extension can look like. We'll tell you what that is next year on 101 ESPN. Things are not going well. No Rachel, I was going to say that, brother. <laughs> We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. couple of comparisons for a potential Jordan Cairo contract extension with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll give you a chance to win a four pack of tickets to next week's Budweiser bash coming up in about 10 minutes or so. But Alex, there have been two contract extensions that have been signed over the last couple of days that when you look at them, you look at their production, you say to yourself, okay, maybe this ends up being what Jordan Cairo is looking for in his next deal. The first one was JT Miller's contract and what he ended up getting from the Canucks. Alex, do you have the numbers on that deal in yeah, front of you? Yeah, I believe you? it was an eight-year, $8.75 million contract, or maybe his was the seven. Hold on, I'm pulling it up on Cap Friendly. JT Miller ended up getting a... $8 million se- for yeah, seven, seven years. Yeah, seven years, $8 million per season. The other one that was given, oh, and this was earlier to today... This was Tim Stutzel, oh my God, who agreed cool, to an eight-year extension worth $66.8 million in total. 8.275 per year. If I'm Jordan Cairo, and I look at myself in comparison to these two individuals, you take into account age, you take into account production, you take into account the fact that you were an all-star last year, and you are still on the up-and-up when it comes to your trajectory— I am not accepting anything less than an eight-year contract worth more than eight and a half million, or at least eight and a half million dollars per year. That is the bare minimum. If you offer me that, we can talk. Anything below that, 
I'm not even talking about a contract extension until you get into that kind of a deal. Throw in Robert Thomas's contract too, yep. eight by eight, and that's the starting point I would imagine if you're Jordan Kyrou. But the J.T. Miller and Tim Stutzel contracts are really interesting. It also makes me feel like the card or the Cardinals, the Blues got out in front of this. Sorry to cut you off there uh, with the Robert Thomas? Thomas deal. Absolutely, because Robert Thomas after this season would probably be demanding around Tim Stutzel numbers, yep. and he get, he would get it because he was a point per game player. After his, what was his fourth season? And Tim Stutzel just got paid for his second season. I think Otto overpaid. But you're seeing two different, you're seeing two different bookends of contract extensions. JT Miller is a past, past production betting on it. Tim Stutzel is looking at the future for this young player and betting on the production to continue to climb. And if I'm Jordan Cairo, I'm looking right in between these two because JT Miller is a center who has been very good the last three seasons with Vancouver. But prior to that, he was a second, third line player for the Rangers, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Tim Stutzel has had one really good season with the Ottawa Senators, and he's 20 years old. And if I'm Jordan Kyrum saying, okay, I've had two really good seasons for you. One of them was a point per game season. I'm a potential 30 goal scorer for you, and you could get me at a cost controlled deal. But I'm not signing anything less than eight years, $8 million, because that's what Robert Thomas got. And I know my market, if I do this one more season, I know it's going to climb up from there because guys who score 30 goals get paid. I'm not signing for less than eight and a half. If I'm as, as much of a goal-scoring presence as Jordan Cairo has been already in his short career, I'm not signing for less than eight and a half. Yeah, that's more than what Robert Thomas got. I get that. You don't want to pay me that amount. That's fine. Go ahead and let me hit an unrestricted free agency after the next couple of years. Let's see what that looks like. Because he will get, somebody would offer him nine plus oh, per yeah. year. If Jordan Cairo got to the open market, he would get crazy money from a team that is desperate to add that kind of a lethal goal scorer and that kind of a presence when it comes to his speed. Now, I know that some felt like we were underselling what Jordan Cairo has been and what he could be uh, as we were talking about the Matthew Kachuk sweepstakes. We said at the time, the only reason we were even bringing up his name in discussions is because you're getting Matthew Kachuk in return, which is like one of the best all-around young players in all of hockey. If that guy's not on the table... I'm not trading Jordan Cairo. I'm building around Jordan Cairo. So for for me, I, I would be looking to get this deal done. Mm-hmm. I would want to lock Jordan Cairo in because the longer that you go about this, the more of the cost of business continues going up as we're watching with these guys that are now signing. And Alex, if people are right with the projections and the cap ends up spiking after this upcoming season. Those guys are going to get paid. God only knows what the contracts are going to look like next offseason for that free agency class, and that's going to boost the price of business once again for Jordan Kyrie. Real quick from the 314, this is an insane conversation. Kyle Connor just put up 40 goals and only makes 7.1 mil per season, and JT Miller just put up over 100 points. You don't hand out contracts based on other teams' mistakes. Well, first of all, Kyle Connor signed in Winnipeg, I think, a couple of years ago, and that was before, I mean, he was trending in this direction, but he signed it kind of like Jordan Cairo was in this restricted free agency era. Connor signed that deal going into the 2019 season. This is a four-year-old contract. That is no longer the comparison. And Kyle Connor might have wanted to stay in Winnipeg. I'm Jordan Cairo to me seems like a guy that likes to be in the spotlight. So if St. Louis Connor going into that season had played in the NHL for two seasons and had accumulated 60 total points, this is not the same. 
Kyle Connor signed a contract kind of like Vladimir Tarasenko signed an extension with the yeah. Blues. And JT Miller, yeah, he put up over 100 points this season, but the last couple of seasons he's been good, but he's not a 100-point player. You do hand out contracts based on other teams' mistakes if you're the agent of that player. 100%. Doug Armstrong is a guy that holds his court. He says, I'm not paying you past this amount, and that either works in your favor or it doesn't, or it doesn't work in your favor. Now, the good news for the Blues is, He's a restricted free agent. So, like, he's the Blues property regardless of signing an extension, not signing an extension. But all I'm saying is if Jordan Kyrou's side looks at JT Miller and Tim Stutzel, and by the way, more guys will get paid around this contract, if not more. If I'm his agent, I'm looking at restricted free agency saying, you pay me what I'm owed, or I'm going to go the Matthew Kachuk route of just walking it up to free agency. So tell me which of these is is more impressive in your mind, Alex. And to keep into consideration, one of them is from age 22 to 27. Uh, the other is from age 22 to 23. It's a two-year stretch. 22 to 27. These are points for the full season. 43, 55, 58, 47, 72, 45. The other, 35, 75. The one that's more impressive is what Jordan Cairo did last year. The yeah. other one is JT Miller. Prior to this last season, JT Miller was not the guy that you saw that put up the 32 goals and 99 overall points for the Vancouver Canucks. I think JT Miller's a good player. I also think that some people are getting out over their skis on exactly what he is as a player. I would bet on that being an outlier, just like I would bet on... Uh, Nazem Kadri not putting up the points next right. year that he put up this past season in Colorado because his entire career is like a 60 point player. Then it's whoa, he's a point per game player now. No, he's probably going to be closer to that 60. I think the same is probably going to be true for Miller. Meanwhile, you look at the trajectory tra- trajectory for Kairou. I do believe he's a point per game player. I believe he could get the JT Miller numbers from last season. If you stay on the right course and you stay healthy and a couple of questions come in one, if that's the case, why doesn't Robert Thomas want to renegotiate? Look, I think the Robert Thomas contract is going to be a steal for this blues team. We said that at the time, but in from the two six Oh, do you take into consideration that Cairo is just an offensive player, not a two way player? Do you pay that? So kind JT of- Miller. Exactly. JT Miller was a liability last year defensively. That's why Doug Armstrong always sets his precedent. Like this is the amount I'm going up to and I'm not going past it, which I believe Doug Armstrong is going to look at this and say, We'll give you Robert Thomas money, but that's it. We're not going beyond Robert Thomas. It's either less or you get Robert Thomas's deal. And it comes down to does Kyrie want to take it or bet on himself? If I was his agent, I would say I'm betting on myself. Absolutely. I'm not taking that. And we'll talk again next offseason. Coming up next, we'll give you a chance to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday's Budweiser Bash. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Four-pack of tickets to next week's Budweiser Bash. Cardinals it. versus the Brewers. The Brewers are imploding. This is going to be a fun one. Tuesday, September 13th. Next week's Budweiser Bash features a limited edition bobblehead for Jim Kai. You get all the details at cardinals.com slash promotions. Now is your chance to win the four-pack of tickets if you are texter number 101 at 65780. That is the Air Comfort Service text line. And you can tell us how long between picks we had for our 101 ESPN Fantasy League. I thought it was a great idea. Seemingly all 11 other members of the league disagreed with that. If you want to listen to our I press conference, 
onside situation. Yeah, you hated it. You can do that. I was with you live. The text that came afterwards was, whoa, that was fast. Yep. And uh, I, I saw enjoyed it. auto drive him and go, wait, 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 wait. Oh, what's that? Oh, I can take Joe Burrow. That is a that is a fair reenactment. Davis got stuck place. with Miles Davis. Come on, man. Again, if your texts are number one hundred and one uh, at six five seven eight zero, and you can tell us how long the picks were, you win the four pack of tickets to next Tuesday's Budweiser Bash. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Appreciate you guys tuning in today. We will be back tomorrow at eleven a.m. The fast lane's coming up from two to six right here on one hundred and one ESPN. Sure. I do have a question. What the hell were you thinking? You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.